Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Fox Sports broadcaster Adam Alexander is going to join us, the co-host of NASCAR Race Home on FS1, the play-by-play announcer for the NASCAR Xfinity Series and Fox FS1. We will preview the Daytona 500 and also look ahead to the NASCAR season when Double-A joins us, longtime friend of the show, one of our uh, favorites around here. Been a while since we caught up with Double-A, so look forward to chatting with him coming up later on here on the program. And uh, Tom Bridges joins me right now. Tom, how are we living? We're living cold right now here in Tulsa Jones. Uh, we're living real. We're living real cold, real icy. I even fell today. So, are you all right? Um, oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm just uh, gives me another reason to be like, you know, I fell, bruised my arm up pretty good. But uh, you know what? I think I'll justify this with a glass of Maker's Mark and Dr Pepper. That is a, a good idea too uh now this fall that you had did you feel like an old person when you had that mo- the moment i did because i hit the hit the ground and i was just like oh my gosh like age me 50 years and that's a broken hip <laughs> i've fallen and i can't get up i need the life oh alert. man well i mean i should have dove for the grass is what i should have done but uh, yeah, it's pretty icy. Um, and good thing I live like four minutes away from work. Jones, I'll tell you what, I don't know. Obviously, you you can work from home, but it's a little bit different. Unfortunately, I'm one of the only people in the office that does not get to work from home. Um, so today, I was one of the only people that I actually saw. I think there was one other person that was in the office. And I'm just like, oh, no, like, got back car barely made it up the icy hill because uh, I live in Tulsa Hills. The, the reason why they call it that. Um, but yeah, so it should be uh, a fun experiment tomorrow. So, uh, here in Omaha, we're talking about like ungodly temperatures of sorts. Um, the other night it got down to like negative six. And on Sunday we have a low of negative 15. And, you know, I've enjoyed my time in Omaha so far. There's been a bit of an adjustment period of sorts, you know, as, as what was documented on this program. I think you just got to go back last week to, to check that. We don't need to revisit that or anything, but um, that was uh, a little bit shocking to the system to see uh, that much cold weather. Uh, I'll say it's it's taken me time to adapt on that front, Tom. I, I don't think that anyone gets used to negative temperatures. Yeah, no. And Jones, I mean, you're Tulsa, so some of the weather here I'm sure interests you, but uh, Tulsa is going to be negative four next week at some point in time. No, you don't really. I, I'm. I don't think I felt a negative temp since high school. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I went outside the other day just to go to my car, and when it was negative, when it was like one or two, and just feeling that air on my face or on my hands just for a couple minutes. I mean, that was brutal. I'll say this, you know, everybody's been complaining about wearing these face masks and everything, and and I had to deal with that. This cold weather, uh, that mask actually does you pretty good. It provides you a little warmth uh, on the face. I'm, I'm not going to complain about wearing a mask in 
in, uh, in cold weather. The, the only thing is for somebody like me, I wear glasses. So my glasses do fog up easy. We need to have some type of mask made that doesn't fog up your glasses. But if we can figure that out, I'm golden. I'm, I'm sad. I'll wear that mask gladly when it's cold outside. Give, give my face a little warm. You can go the old Andy Reid route and go with the shield. Yeah, but does that really do anything when it comes to COVID? Like, because it could still come from underneath. It's sneaky like that, isn't it? Right. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good. You know, I went. I've been to Walmart several times, and um, I uh, see more face shields than normal than you you would than you would think. So yeah. they're they're getting somewhere, but. I, I stick, but you're right about the mask though. Uh, you know, before I was just ripping it off as soon as I got outside. Um, but now walking to my car, just keep it on just because it's so cold. I, I mean, I'm sure my lips aren't near as chapped from wearing the mask. Right. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's funny. Uh, we got plenty to touch on today's show. We mentioned that, uh, that Adam's going to be here to talk Daytona 500 coming up later. Coach Bo's going to stop by and have our uh, football fix. We'll have Tom Fullery at the end of the show, all those things there. And uh, I got to say, while we're uh, just catching up on business, because I I feel like I'm stalling to avoid talking about the debacle of the Chiefs on Sunday at this point. While I stall a little bit farther to try to avoid that conversation until we absolutely have to. Uh, did, did you see the Britney Spears documentary, Tom? I have not watched it, but I did hear and read about all the craziness. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I wasn't a huge Britney fan growing up by any means. I don't have anything against her at all. It's just kind of I didn't feel one way or another towards her. But then seeing this documentary, if you haven't seen it, folks, it's like only an hour 10 long. It's on Hulu and FX and so it's certainly worth your time. I had no idea that conservatorship was even a thing. And the fact that it is, and it's usually used on old people, the fact that her dad can, tr- can control her finances against her will, and then the fact that not only of all people, it's her dad who declared bankruptcy and such in the past that gets to control that. I mean, that's just BS, Tom. Yeah, I've never heard of a conservatorship until I read about it earlier. Uh, I mean, at that point, like there are people way more for, you know, far gone than Brittany ever even got close to that still controlled their own finances. And maybe it's because she had a lot of money, but, and, you know, didn't have just a, a normal person amount of money, but like a celebrity amount of money. But at the same time, I think that's, that's insane to think about. Just think of if you made a lot of money and, you know, you got labeled insane and right. Lisa and Charlie could just be like, well, no, I don't think Tyler needs to, to buy this. Right. You and know, then or after they even that, said up to $5, like she had to request money to even buy coffee. Yeah. And then after that, that she still was a judge on the X factor that one of those Simon Cowell shows, and on top of that, that she did the residency in Vegas and those things. I mean, that's just ridiculous. That's crazy. Uh, I could not believe when I heard that. And that happened back in 2008. And she still doesn't have her conservatorship rights back. Um, just bizarre. I mean, I, I will say this. 
I I didn't really understand what the whole free Britney thing was even two days ago, but um, I would like to take a moment on this show to announce, Tom, that I, I am joining officially the free Britney movement. We need to free her, and she needs to have her life back. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, yeah, she's done some wild stuff, but, you know, the, the paparazzi TMZ needs to calm down. Like, uh, you know, honestly, if I was that popular and, you know, paparazzi got that close to me and I didn't want them all up in my face, I'm, I'm throwing a punch. I mean, if you got enough money, you know, if you got enough money, you just knock one of them out. Uh, maybe they stay... You know, I'll, I'll, I'd sucker punch one. I'm not I'm not above that. You know, if you just tell them, hey, please stop. Like, please leave me alone. And they keep on. Yeah, I think I think you have every right to to, you know, honestly, go fuck one of them up. <laughs> you know, if you think you can do it, go ahead and try. And uh, maybe that'll make, you know, it'll either make it one worse or it'll make it better. Man. Um, but. You know, Brittany's not a big, very big person. So, no. um, but still, I mean, yeah, it's it's gotten to a point. It's like people need to leave people alone. Like, well, and then, like you look at the story of where she came from. I mean, this girl was in you know a small town in Louisiana, and you know came from you know a uh, you know a re- pretty religious family and such, and and uh you know she gets on stage in new york when she's 10 years old and she's asked if she's got a boyfriend and you know when she was like 15 she did an interview and somebody asked her about her breast size and you know she gets asked you know when she's 18 if if she's a virgin still and just all these things the way she was treated by you know, Justin Timberlake and Diane Sawyer and you know several of these other people, Jay Leno, um, Tom, I'm I'm one. I tend to defend the media more times than not, especially since I work in it. Um, but the way that that she was treated, it, it felt like whether it was the media or obviously her family with her dad being away from her. And then just all the events that led to it, it was like she was set up to fail. It was as if she was set up to crash and burn at some point. I, I again, I had no opinion really one way or the other about Britney Spears. And I came away watching this feeling bad for Britney Spears, like that, that she's probably a good person that was, uh, was just set up for, for failure like that. I mean, and, then, and if you look at it, I mean, not to take any away, you know, anything away from Britney's story, but if you look at these other childhood stars, you know, child TV stars, child music stars, uh, a lot of the times this is the route. You know, obviously Justin Timberlake was a child star, but and he turned out somewhat fine, you know. Um, but um, what's his name? Home Alone. Um, Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Hey, look what happened to him. And I mean, there's just several others that I mean, you, you get in and, you know, let your child be, you know, pretty much almost preyed upon by the media that this is a bit, like you said, set up to fail. Yeah. I mean, Tom, you and I don't have any kids and, and I don't plan on having any kids anytime soon. God bless. Right. Knock on wood. Right. Yeah. Um, sure. But when I see something like this, it makes me think, you know, even if I had a very talented kid, you know, if whether it was, you know, musically or an entertainer or an athlete of some sorts, 
you'd want to say like, is it really worth it to put them on that spotlight and that stage? I mean, you're, you're, you're putting the chances of having your kid destroyed if, if they get that, uh, that fame too early of some sorts. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a, it's a tricky, tricky line to, to go about playing. I mean, you know, sure you want the best for your kid, but at the same time, you know, what is this going to, you know, you know, subject them to. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, now as I look back, if I had had the chance as a kid, I would have been, I would have said immediately yes, but until you get put in that situation, you just don't know. Yeah, man. Uh, but I certainly recommend if you want to do a check it out. Tom, I'm a big fan, and, and you are too, of the 30 for 30 films. What the New York Times did with this Britney Spears story, and I guess these other documentaries they're doing on FX, it's like if you did 30 for 30 with news stories. And that got me thinking like, man, if we did 30 for 30 style films like the New York Times did here uh, with news stories, I mean, like we've seen so many amazing sports stories told. The news stories, I mean, they'd be endless of what people could come up with for that type of 30 for 30 type genre of sorts. Oh, there would be so many great ones. Uh, I mean, I think they should... You know, I haven't watched the Britney one, but I will. But I'm, I'm sure from what I heard, it's pretty solid. So, I, I mean, there's a there's a market for it out there. And there's some stories that need to be told. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, the, the, the question I've always wondered uh, that's, that's out there is Stevie Wonder really blind? You know, I, I want an investigation oh, into that. I, I don't think Stevie Wonder is actually blind. Maybe not completely, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty niche one, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stories that, um, and, and so, folks, yeah. I mentioned that about Stevie Wonder not being really blind, like just do a little bit of research and like go to YouTube and there's a video of him catching a mic that's falling. How did he know the mic was falling? how did he see it? Um, you know, he, he's beat, uh, Anthony Anderson in a free throw shooting contest and he's supposed to be blind. How, is Anthony Anderson that bad at basketball or get Stevie wonder really see which one is it? Um, that that's one thing I want looked into is Stevie wonder really blind. Uh, but I digress. Uh, we'll move on. We'll, we'll go back to the super bowl here for a second. Um, and we got more to talk about with the super bowl coming up later on in the show when, uh, would Bo stops by for coach Bo's football fix. But now we've had a few days to digest this uh, this Super Bowl. And I broke it down on Monday's show with my immediate reaction of things. And now we've seen the Super Bowl celebration, Tom Brady just getting faded. That was great, by the way. I had no problem with it. It was. Uh, Tom Brady just getting faded, tossing around the Lombardi Trophy uh, there around the water uh, in Tampa. I mean – even as somebody that was very, very upset by that outcome, how it played out, um, I, I, I smiled for those guys of, of the, the fun that they're having that celebration. But nonetheless, uh, a few days later, and I think, Tom, about Tom Brady and, and the Super Bowl, and, you know, there, there's a lot to criticize the Chiefs for, and, and we've spent some time on that and – and what they did wrong of sorts. But I think that you can't 
look at this Super Bowl with looking at without looking at how impressive what Tampa Bay did. Um, to see that they went on this eight-game stretch, to see that team come together, that the coaching staff, not just Bruce Arians, but Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles came up with these great game plans and all the things that unfolded to get to this point. Um, the Chiefs are one story, but I think the the, the story of the Bucks and, and not even just how they came together, we knew they were the story of the offseason, but what unfolded these last two months um, is, uh, is something that uh, I, I think is, uh, is remarkable, especially in these times we're talking about with COVID-19 and the limitations there on everything. This is one of the most impressive stretches that we've ever seen to get a Lombardi trophy, I think, of what Tampa did to get through the Saints, Packers, and then the Chiefs to cap things all off uh, there uh, this final stretch of the season. Yeah, and especially against the Chiefs. I mean, no one – if you would have told me the Chiefs weren't going to score an actual touchdown, um, I would have I would have bet money probably. I would I would have said, okay, you're on. Um, so just for – and that defense, yeah, the defense was we knew was good, but they did have some flaws, and this Chiefs offense was, you know, top tier. I was calling them as good as the greatest show on turf, and I still think they are. But – so even more credit to the Bucks defense and, you know, even even to the offense. I mean, they had the game planned. Uh, I mean, you got to give it up for Bruce Arians too. Probably – one of the worst coach games by Andy Reid that I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um, and that's not to take away any credit from the Bucks, but it was a bad coach game by Andy Reid, um, nonetheless. Um, but and, and we saw it on display. We saw how much coaching matters. We how much we saw how much execution matters because in every facet of the game, Buccaneers were executing. Uh, and pretty much every facet for the Chiefs, they were not. Um, you know, the offensive line was horrendous. Uh, the secondary, the coverage on the wide receivers, I probably could have caught, caught a Tom Brady pass on Sunday. Uh, I, I bet you could have. Uh, I would not put that past you, Tom, to uh, catch something from, from Tom Brady. But, you know, like Antonio Brown was kind of quiet this season, and, and he played well. Gronk looks like the Gronk of old from a couple years ago here. And the, the thing about Tom Brady, uh, I said this Monday and I'll repeat it again. It was never the Patriot way in New England. It was the Tom Brady way and doing things the Tom Brady way. And, and we saw that full circle on Sunday with getting all those guys to buy in. Leonard Fournette, Tony O'Brown, Rob Gronkowski, you know, Mike Evans, uh, Chris Godwin, just all these guys to play the way that Tom Brady put this together. Uh, there's a point in the season when this Bucks team, um, you know, was not on the same page, that they were trying to force the football down the field and not do what Tom Brady wanted to do, that they didn't want to run the football. And there's that effect. And, you know, Tom, you've seen this firsthand with – uh, you know, what happened to the Rams in, in the two Super Bowls they lost to the Patriots. And, and uh, we've seen this with other teams, in, the, in, in fact, over the years, is that you can look at X's and O's. You can break down the matchups and say, well, this team is more talented than, th than this team. You know, hey, the Patriots are an underdog here, or the Bucs, you know, they, they don't look as good of a team on paper. 
But what you can't factor in is just that Tom Brady effect that even in the games that they're not favored in, that he's the quarterback in, Tom Brady's still the smartest man on the field. Um, it's not his athletic ability. Uh, it's the fact that, you know, he can, you know, change plays at the line of scrimmage and, you know, go to the run game and run the football and read defenses to be able to do that, to go from the deep passing game to the short passing game or to find those guys deep when he needs to. That's one thing that I think that teams have forgotten about or maybe us in the media or fans, whatever, when we've looked at these matchups is that we have not accounted enough for that Tom Brady effect of that he, he may not be more talented technically than uh, you know some of the best in the game, but he's smarter than anyone in the game. Yeah, he really is. And, and I think he's smart enough that – and I think he knows he's smart enough that he can continue on playing as long as he wants to play, as long as that offensive line keeps him upright. Uh, Tom Brady's smart enough to adjust any way that he can, and he showed it this year. Yeah. Yeah, he certainly did. And now this Bucks team, you know, they're going to try to go for it again. Uh, they're saying they're going for two uh, to try to uh, win two straight titles. And, you know, here, here's something to think about. This is the last thing I'll say on the Bucks, and then I, I want to talk about the Chiefs for a little bit here too, is that the Bucks, we were told that this was a building year for them that it was going to take time to adapt and that next year they would be a Super Bowl threat. That's what we were told about this Tampa Bay Bucks team, that they're not ready yet. They're a good team, but they're just not quite ready. And then when they were ready, um, you know, it was all there. It all came together for this team. Now, another year to go bring in more guys that, you know, want to, you know, chase a ring with Tom Brady. They have some salary cap to work with. You got another draft class coming in. I really wonder, and based all signs point this way, there, there's no reason to think that this Bucks team won't even be better next year than what they are right now. Um, Tom, I think the Bucks will be better next year. The question then becomes, though, will someone else catch up? To the Bucs. I think Seattle and Los Angeles, those two teams will be improved. Green Bay, New Orleans are going to take a step back. Arizona is going to be improved. San Francisco is going to be improved. Everybody in the NFC West will be better. Um, because I literally just named every NFC West team. But <laughs> I don't know if any of those teams are going to. Uh, be able to catch up to the Bucs. It feels like everybody's already playing from behind on the Bucs in the NFC looking ahead to next year. Yeah, from right now, I agree. It'll be interesting to see what moves teams make, um, you know, who leaves the Bucs. You know, Leonard Fournette could possibly be gone. Um, I'm not sure on Antonio Brown's contract. Not that he was a huge, huge part, but he did make his presence known in the Super Bowl. And they get O.J. Howard back next year from injury. That'll be big. Right, right. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep up. I mean, the you know, the Chiefs had every right to win the Super Bowl this year, you know, and we saw just how hard it was for them to win two straight. Um, so it's 
by no means is it it's if anybody can do it, it's Tom Brady. But um he's the last quarterback to win two straight, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, unless I'm forgetting. Yeah. And probably the the only one since we've been alive when two well, Dallas, but um other than that, uh, you know how long that was ago. So I mean it's it's not done. You you know what I mean? It's this is not something that's done all the time. So I mean, if anybody's gonna do it, it's Tom Brady, but uh I mean more power to them if they can do it, but you know, they will definitely have a target on their back this year. Yeah. And, and they had a target on their backs this year. Just the fact that they brought in Tom Brady was something that got everybody's attention. But now it goes even a step further as the defending Super Bowl champions, and uh, they'll be the favorites again in the uh, NFC. For the Chiefs, um, it's pretty well documented what went wrong with this team on uh, on Sunday, from the offensive line issues to the uh, secondary really struggling, the linebackers not playing well, the receivers dropping passes. I mean, it was just atrocious, the performance that we saw from the Kansas City Chiefs. It was the worst Chiefs game we've seen by far in the Patrick Mahomes era. And uh, it wasn't Mahomes' fault. You know, he laid everything out on the line, but just had no help whatsoever. And, you know, I'm guilty of this. There's always been this belief in just this short amount of time that Patrick Mahomes has been in Kansas City that, hey, the Chiefs are going to be Super Bowl contenders as long as Patrick Mahomes is going to be there. And, you know, I, I would say, yes, it was one game, but that should be a wake-up call to the Chiefs organization of, hey, you got to protect your quarterback. You got to get more offensive linemen. Um, you got to get that secondary better. You got to take care of these things because any little thing uh, in a game like that can be exposed – and hit hard. The Chiefs did get exposed, um, you know, to an extent in that loss. And so that's what I look at for this Chiefs team going forward and putting together this roster. They're going to be – they're already the odds-on favorite to win it next year. And they'll be a very good team. But nothing's for certain. The Chiefs – this – this Brett Veach has done a great job as GM of the Chiefs. You could make a case this is the most important offseason – he's ever had to get this right because now uh you know it's a matter of them keeping up we talked about with the bucks that they're ahead of everybody else right now that everybody's trying to catch up with them now the chiefs um we're talking about them kind of playing from behind a little bit they have work to do here in the coming months yeah they they do and you know it's all it's I'm trying to think of the analogy here. We talked about this off the show that I always try to come up with an analogy. It's all, um, you know, puppies and kisses when you win the Super Bowl and right off in the next season. But the season after you lose the Super Bowl, even if you won one the season before, is anything but puppies and kisses. Um, so now more than ever, um, and they did a good job last season. Of, of getting, you know, right in the ship and making sure they were prepared to make another Super Bowl run, and they did. Uh, now it's not as it's not as easy when you lose the Super Bowl. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see. I think they should be right back in the same spot. But, you know, again, everyone it knows that 
Kansas City's not to be messed with. They'll be very bringing their A game again this season. Um, so that that'll be a story to watch. Can Kansas City make the Super Bowl for the third time in a row? That would be huge. Yeah, and the the AFC looking at just who is going to be in the the Chiefs' way. Um, you know, the Ravens. Uh, we hear you know Orlando Brown is wanting out. They're starting right tackle. They're Pro Bowler. Um, but other than that, the Ravens came along in the second half of the year. We're a lot better football team. The Ravens are going away. The Bills took a huge stride this year. They're only going to be better than what they were a season ago. The Browns took a big stride. They're going to be better. I bet the Steelers take a step back. Um, you know, the Colts, if they can find a quarterback and not name Carson Wentz, if they get Carson Wentz, they're going to be in trouble. They'll be better off finding another quarterback not named Carson Wentz. If they get a real quarterback, not Carson Wentz, the Colts are going to be a force to be thr- to be reckoned with here. So the Chiefs have to get better um, because there are some takers behind them. It, it was pretty well documented, Tom, based on this performance against the Bucs, that, you know, hey, the gap is not as big – that the Chiefs had than what any of us thought. I mean, the the Bills, Ravens, Browns, I mean, the, those guys, um, they're chomping at the bit to be right back there with with the Chiefs to, to pass them up of some sorts if if they can have uh, a better offseason of sorts this year. It's 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 huge. I mean, they're not far away, I don't, I don't think. Um, I know what – like I said, yes, I did say it was one game. But I do think it showed that those two, that those teams around them, um, the gap can be made up. It's not impossible for those teams to catch up in the AFC. No, and and if, if any of one of those teams is going to do it, honestly, I like the Bills. Uh, they showed a lot of promise. They're a younger team. You know, this is the first time that they've made noise in forever. Hell, the Browns. You could, as much as it, I hate to say it, you can throw them in there too. Um, we'll, we'll see what Stefanski does there in Cleveland and can they make the Browns a team contender, uh, that it will be a lot easier said than done. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, if I had to pick somebody other than the chiefs, it's going to be the bills. I, you know, they play a tough style of football. They play in a tough weather condition city, you know, when it gets down to the nitty gritty, at least, uh, I mean, the bills, I think have what it takes to get there. Here's, here's one question for you. This is the last thing I'll put out there before we move on, Tom. Um, looking at the, the Chiefs and the Bucks both as the conference champions and the Bucks, of course, coming off that Super Bowl, who would you rather be right now? And it may be an obvious answer because the Bucks did win that game. Would you rather be the Bucks or would you rather be the Chiefs? The way I'd break this down, I have a two-part answer, Tom is I think the you rather be the Bucs short-term this next year. I think the Bucs are better set up when it comes to the cap. And we're going to talk to Bo more about the cap because he's more of the capologist between the three of us and, and has this down. But they're in a much better position when it comes to the cap and the way that they finished last year, and they're only going to build upon that. Um, I'd rather be the Bucs in the short-term, but long-term with not knowing how long – Tom Brady is going to go with having, you know, Tom and Patrick Mahomes and everything and, and Andy Reid, you know, the Chiefs will learn from this. I'd rather be the Chiefs in the long term, you know, in four or five years, you know, that stretch 
But short term, I think the Bucs are in better shape heading into this offseason right now. Who would you rather be, short term or long term or both? In short term right now, obviously, the Bucs have the better defense. Um, you know, Tom Brady, he gets another year older. Obviously, that hasn't mattered up to this point a whole lot. Um, the Bucs have a solid receiving core. Uh, they have, you know, Ronald Jones, I think, is is more than sufficient if they lose um, – Leonard Floyd or not Leonard Fournette. Um, yeah, you're right. I think they'll be. I, I think they'll be fine um, there. But uh, yeah, I'd probably say Bucks short term. But at any t- at any point in time, Brady leaves the whole. You know, he's the glue that's holding that together, so to speak. He leaves. I mean, who else do they have at quarterback? Uh, I mean, if Brady was to get injured, I don't think they're making the Super Bowl. Right. Oh no way. No chance at all. Um, so yeah, that's something to think about, uh, on that NFL front. And uh, we're going to have more football and uh, NFL discussion when, uh, Bo joins us coming up later on for coach Bo's football fix. Uh, before we bring in double a Adam Alexander, I do want to touch on the Daytona 500 and I uh, talk about that, uh, real briefly. And, uh, I know Tom's going to dread that I even bring this up, um, <laughs> based on talking to him earlier today, but we do need to tease it for when, uh, when, when a double A joins us here in just a second, but uh, we go from the Super Bowl to the Super Bowl of racing, the Daytona 500, the great American race, 63rd edition coming up this Sunday. I've been there the last couple of years. This is the first 500 I'm going to miss uh, in, in a while. And uh, it's phenomenal. I mean, the Daytona 500 is as good as any event I've ever been to. My two favorite events I've covered, top three are Daytona, the PGA Championship, and the uh, Final Four. Those are the three favorites of mine that I've had. And uh, Daytona is incredible. The racing there has been great the last few years. Um, you, know, the, if, you know, if there's one thing I'm looking at, besides just hoping to see a great race, which we all hope to see, um, I think these, this would be big for NASCAR and then just the sports world, um, is the fact that this is going to be – the uh, first Daytona 500 for Ryan Newman since what happened last year when he had that horrific wreck that we didn't know if he was alive after the race finished. And, you know, within a couple of days, he was uh, out of the hospital walking with his daughters, uh, which, you know, was just so scary, you know, what, what unfolded those, those two days and just what went down. I mean, it was just horrible. And, uh, you know, he was – a corner away from winning the Daytona 500. So beyond just the picks or, you know, some of your favorite drivers who it may be, or, or, uh, you know, or seeing a good race or anything like that, I think it'd just be a good story. It'd be good for everybody. If, uh, if Ryan Newman has a good run or potentially wins this thing, that to me would, uh, would be a great way to start off 2021. If, uh, if we could see Ryan Newman have a redemption story of some sorts, Tom. Yeah, and I'll be rooting for him. Um, that's that's who I was going to mention Newman. Actually, we talked about uh, the Daytona 500 earlier in on Snapchat, and I, I said, "Oh, I said Jones is going to force my hand to talk about NASCAR. Uh, he always does it, and it's usually I usually go to the the piss poor, you know, cop out response of Denny Hamlin this, Denny Hamlin that." This time I'm not. I knew I was going to talk about this tonight, so I was, you know, I was thinking about Get prepared. Uh, Ryan, yeah, I, a little bit. I didn't. Don't don't get me wrong. I didn't go over the top on this. 
Um, but I was thinking about Ryan Newman, and I was going to mention him if you didn't, um, that I'll be rooting for Ryan Newman. He deserves to win it um, in, in, in some sports that I'm not, uh, you know, a fanatic about. I, I root for the story uh, more than anything else. And, and this, this isn't going to be – if he goes out there and kicks everybody's ass and wins this thing, I don't think it's equivalent to a Alex Smith comeback story. I wouldn't even necessarily call it a comeback. I mean, you could. I guess you could. But I wouldn't call it a comeback necessarily. But uh, it would be good. It would be yeah. good. Um, I mean, it would be – It would. It would. I'm trying to find the right term. It would be heartwarming. Yeah. Uh, it would be great to see. Um, and so the, for that fact alone, um, just the resilience that – Ryan Newman's shown. I would. I will be rooting for Ryan Newman. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, I think that you know it would be great for just the sports world to see Ryan Newman win this thing or have a great finish of some sorts. Um, that's one thing about this sport, Tom. That that's always so fascinating to me is you know we talk about in other sports, football in particular. You know, next man up, and you know you know, going about things that way. In the racing world, you know who the next man up is? You are the next man up. you got to go out there and race again. Um, I've seen, you know, hundreds of races now over the years where guys crashed and then they walked away. And then the very next week, they got right back in that race car and they did it again. They got in victory lane or whatever. And, you know, it was a reality check of some sorts with Ryan Newman last year that, hey, you know, this is, you know, we've been very fortunate since Earnhardt passed that we haven't lost another life when it comes to NASCAR racing. Um, but that's just not a given. It's not that just a fact that these guys uh, are, you know, are, are completely safe of some sorts either. This is a risk that you take. And so, um, you I mean, know, Austin Dillon. Yeah. I mean, I, he'll never get luckier again in his whole life. Yeah. Kyle Larson a few years ago. Um, so that, that to me, you know, rooting on the story and just, uh, you know, not taking for granted these moments. I'd like to see Ryan do well. Uh, but a couple other storylines uh, before we bring in Adam, just going into this weekend. Uh, Kyle Larson is back. Uh, first time he's raced since March uh, before the uh, pandemic began when uh, things got shut down and he was on iRacing and dropped the N-word and – got fired from his ride. Kyle was one of the top drivers in the sport. Now he's uh, with Hendrick, uh, you know, driving that five car. And this is for non-NASCAR fans. This is the same organization that Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson and Dale Jr. all worked with. And, you know, it's the, the New York Yankees of NASCAR of sorts. Kyle Larson out there, he doesn't have a major sponsor. Hendrick's kind of funding this thing himself here. Um, you know, it's a great opportunity yeah, for Kyle. Uh, but, but I feel like, Tom, that there's some pressure to this, not only to perform because you're with the best team, but uh, it, it, it seems like that performing isn't just good enough for Kyle Larson. I think that you're going to have to see him not only do well, but really show that character and show that he's changed and take those right steps. And and, and even just an elevated performance, like a win or two, I don't even think is good enough. I think this guy has to really, you know, prove something because Rick Hendrick really put himself out, out on a limb uh, going out there and, and giving a, a guy like Larson with his history this caliber of a ride here. 
Yeah, he, he's going to have to be consistently good. Uh, I mean, he doesn't have to win every race or finish top five, but to be consistently good uh, is really going to say a lot to Hendricks. Uh, I mean, you, I mean, if he comes out there and just shits the bed and is, is not what he once was, uh, it's even going to look worse. I mean, yeah, he took – I mean, Hendricks took a chance uh, doing this, and so, you know – it's time for it's time to put up or shut up type situation here for old Axe Larson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, Bubba Wallace uh, in that twenty three car, the uh, Michael Jordan Denny Hamlin racing team. Uh, you know, Tom his fallback's always Denny Hamlin, but now Denny Hamlin not only just a driver but an owner too, owning a team with MJ here. They're going to be running Toyotas and Joy, Joe Gibbs equipment. They've sold out on sponsorship. Uh, Bubba Wallace uh, getting a big opportunity here. Um, you know, th- this is a win-win for NASCAR to have, uh, you know, Michael Jordan involved here, but Bubba Wallace in, in great equipment and they got the funding and all this, um, you know, to, to have him. And then now you got pit bulls involved owning a team too. This is kind of the, the cultural spike of sorts that the uh, sport was, was lacking that it needed. This is huge to see. MJ involved here and, and that 23 team, Tom, I think uh, with, with the money that they have there, there's no reason why this team shouldn't be successful. Ryan, they're going to have a lot of fans. There's a lot of new fans. I think this is the most, I think this is the most important. And we talked about this earlier that I, you know, I'm not a huge NASCAR fan, but just from the outsider looking in, uh, this is the most important NASCAR season uh, in a very, 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 very long time, if not ever, uh, yeah. to make they they're having the most fans, uh, outside fans. Now this is this is not generational. Well, my dad's favorite driver, his dad's favorite driver, type situation. Because a lot of people, I mean, I know enough about NASCAR because my dad and my mom's aunt B um, were huge NASCAR people, still are. Um, but I was like kind of raised into it of, Oh, you know, the race was on at my house type situation. Um, and so, and I, I, I had, I had the, the, the die cast series. I had the NASCARs. I still have them. I mean, I, I know, I know the history because I was raised in it uh, right. type type stuff. Not crazy. I only went to one race ever before I met you. And we went to a bunch, um, it was like a truck race and we wouldn't, it wouldn't camp out crazy. Um, but you know, I knew about it. There is now a whole generation, a whole influx of people who have never watched one race and don't know who Jeff, there's, there's so there's more fans that are going to watch NASCAR this season that don't know who Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson. There's people that aren't even going to know who Dale Earnhardt is. And even if you want to get to deep, deep cuts like Bobby and Terry Labonte, I mean, if you want to get into like some, just some old school, NASCAR history fan favorite type drivers. No one's going to know about these people. I'm sure they've heard of Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, that's one I, I would imagine that most people would recognize. But for anybody else, they're not. They're not going to have any idea. Um, and so NASCAR, sure, you kind of almost get a fresh start here um, of who you want to be. With you know, before NASCAR was a, a big portion of NASCAR, whether they like it or not was synonymous with the rebel flag and it and they had to they banned it and people said hell no we're not giving up our bush light and rebel flags 
at least not Talladega type shit. Um, NASCAR wants to keep making money and, and have a real impact and actually grow the sport. Uh, they are going to have to be very active in crushing that. Yeah. Uh, because that stereotype is still, that stereotype has been, it's going to take as many years as that stereotype was built for that stereotype to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the most important NASCAR season for NASCAR for making money and garnering new fans than it ever has been ever before. Well, yeah. And uh, they did a great job when it came to racing during the pandemic to be the first major sport back and the ratings that they had and everything like that. And now it's time to capitalize on that, to uh, continue that success. And this season is being dubbed the best season ever um, with, uh, with how exciting the racing was last year and hoping to roll that over again. And now you have these new tracks. Um, you're going to run dirt at Bristol. You're going to run more road courses than you ever had before. Seven road courses. Wait, they're running dirt track at Bristol? Yes, they're 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 turning Bristol into a dirt track uh, in March. Uh, NASCAR's running on dirt. Yes, um, I will watch that race. Yeah, I mean, you got NASCAR running on dirt. You're going to go to you know Circuit of the Americas in Austin, the F1 course, which seemed unimaginable a few years ago that they would even touch anything that had to do with F1. Um, you know, just, just all the stuff that's going on here, these new elements, this is not, uh, you know, your, your grandma's NASCAR anymore. And, you know, there, there's going to be some, some, uh, folks that say, you know, Hey, you know, NASCAR stop series has no business running on dirt or anything like that. That's throwback. This, this, this is actually what racing's all about. Why can't you have fun? Why can't you try things and try to bring in a new audience and try to make the product better? I applaud uh, NASCAR's effort to at least be willing to give this thing a chance to, to take a risk of sorts here. What do you have to lose? I mean, yeah, we talked about that, you know, when the XFL came in. I'm not comparing NASCAR to the XFL. In a way, I am. But, okay, the XFL was getting so much hype because they were down to try new things. Even when the NFL said, okay, let's, let's try moving the extra point back, that worked out. That will never go back to the the traditionalists hated the idea, but you know what? It worked. Right. And, and even like reviewing calls and things like that. I mean, you have to not adapt or not being willing to change is to die. You have to be adaptable. And I mean, that's like, that's the number one rule in business. If you're not adaptable, it's not going to go well for you. Uh, First example, look at blockbuster. Uh, I mean, if you're not willing to adapt and change with the times, uh, that means that you're probably not going to be sticking around for very long. And so NASCAR on dirt back, like, you know, throwback days, I will watch the dirt track race at Bristol. I might not, that might be the only race that I watch all year. If I'm going to be straight up honest with you, uh, just cause I'm usually busy on Sundays and you know, now if they do midweek racing again, uh, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, but give it a shot, you know, and it's not going to be perfect. You know, I, I like the idea of NASCAR racing on dirt, but actually my idea was, well, let's, let's go with a real dirt track. Don't just put dirt on Bristol, go to a real dirt. Right. right. Uh, but Hey, at least they're trying, at least they're giving it a shot. I, I'm, uh, all ears to try something different. Um, well, if it doesn't work, don't do it again. 
Right. If it doesn't work, go to a real dirt track then. Yeah, that's fine. You know, I mean, um, there's some flexibility involved here. So I applaud them for being willing to change and to, uh, to uh, try some things out here. So we'll have more on that with Adam, go into more details with him when he joins us coming up on the other side as we talk about the 2021 NASCAR season, the Daytona 500 next here on the Jones Report. Stay with us. Joining us now here on the Jones Report this week, always chat with him every year before the Daytona 500. Great to reconnect with our old buddy Adam Alexander from Fox Sports 1 and NASCAR on Fox as we gear up for the Great American Race, the Daytona 500 this Sunday. Double A, always appreciate the time to chat, and uh, thanks for joining us, man. Great to be with you, Tyler. Uh, I can't believe we're, we're going on 10 years of connecting with one another at various media outlets, so it's good to be back with you. Absolutely, Adam. And uh, I know that you've made so many trips to Daytona over the years, um, but now you come back here and under different circumstances, of course, that we all know of. But I, I think for you guys in Fox, it's been a while since you even, you've even been at a racetrack lately, right? Phoenix last year. We, we started out at Daytona and, and then we jumped straight from Daytona out west, Las Vegas, California, Phoenix. And, and that's when the virus was really starting to build. And then we were all headed to Atlanta in mid-March. It was uh, scheduled to be a, a doubleheader Saturday with the Camping World Truck Series and the Xfinity Series and a cup race on Sunday. And I was actually en route to Atlanta on Friday morning when I got the call that said, turn around and go home. Everything's been postponed. And at that point, we hit pause and stayed on pause for six or seven weeks or whatever it was before coming back uh, in mid-May and, and eventually uh, finishing out the season that way and doing everything from the studio. So it was an, an odd time, but great perseverance by NASCAR and, and all the folks at Fox were able to adapt. And it feels good to be traveling back to the racetrack and uh, more of the sights and sounds that we're accustomed to. Oh, yeah. It'll be great to see. And uh, just the job that NASCAR did to be the first major sport back there with those uh, races at Darlington that we saw, and then the races that followed after that. Uh, NASCAR was kind of the example for the rest of the sports world, how to handle this. Uh, and, and it seems like the, the sport is riding some momentum from, from the end of last year into this year, uh, that not a whole lot of sports are feeling the same way right now. Without question. And when you look at, at the ratings, and what NASCAR was able to produce in, in that regard, everything stayed in a, in a pretty good position. In, in some circumstances, you saw growth, which is not what we've seen, as you mentioned, in a lot of other sports. So I think NASCAR has been very fortunate in that regard. And, and I think anytime you take away the opportunity to do something, that, that creates this sense of urgency to want to then go do it. So I think the, the fact that we've taken race fans away from the track now um, is we're starting to see, you know, different circumstances will play out in, in the various markets that we go to. But, but there are going to be some fans that are allowed. And I think is, is we start to have more and more fans allowed at the track, there's going to be this sense of urgency to get back. And, and so the racetracks are going to benefit from this as well, I, I think, as we look long term. But no doubt, NASCAR had laid a very strong foundation to put themselves in position to handle the adversities they went through in 2020. They handled it well. And now we're off and rolling with a new season in, in full steam ahead for sure. 
Yeah, and this new schedule that was released, major changes to the 2021 season. Let's start there. Adam, what do you like? What are you most excited to see of uh, these changes here in 2021? I've always enjoyed the road courses, regardless of how many were on the schedule or what series we're talking about. In particular, Sonoma, that was always a fun race to go out to and call. But but beyond Sonoma, Watkins Glen is, is outstanding. You look at Mid-Ohio and Road America that have been a part of the Xfinity Series schedule for a number of years. I had an opportunity to go up to Canada and do an event at Mosport, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, which is a, a great spot. Tremendous fans there. The fact that we have added all these road courses, including now Coda, of course, the Daytona Road Course, Indianapolis. We, we got a splash of that last year with the Xfinity Series Cup will be on the road course in Indy in 2021 as well. All of that to me is very exciting because I just believe that style of racing is really, really fun. And you bring in the element of strategy, which is a, an added layer that makes the race intriguing. The dirt is, is going to be something to experience at Bristol and keeping it in Tennessee. Being back in Nashville, to me, is really big for the sport of NASCAR, just because there are so many natural connections from NASCAR to Music City uh, across the board. I couldn't be more excited about the changes. Well, and it seems like that there's an emphasis too on on the South, you know, on the on the heart of NASCAR. You mentioned Nashville, uh, Bristol adding dirt. Uh, you know, Darlington's getting another date of sorts. I mean, that's still uh, your hardcore fan base. Still, the majority of fans are in that part of the country. So it's great to see them rewarded of some sorts to see some of those uh, those more southern places get back on the schedule. And the one thing I'm going to be really interested to see as we move forward, you, you know, the last number of years, there wasn't much movement in the schedule because NASCAR was locked in contractually with the tracks. And everyone knew that 2021 is when things can open up. And as we've discussed, that that's exactly what has happened. But NASCAR is is rewritten the rule book, so to speak, on scheduling. And they've not locked themselves in, at least not to my knowledge, on these long-term deals. And, and so – the question becomes now, what does the schedule look like on an annual basis and how much change does it go through? The all-star races at Texas for the first time, will that be something that we see change on a regular basis? Sure. Championship races at Phoenix again. And it should be because they didn't get, because of the pandemic, their full opportunity to showcase what that city and that track is all about. But will we see the championship race rotate uh, on an annual basis. There, there are a lot of question marks, I think, that go into this and what the future holds. But when you look at 2021, a, a lot of reason for excitement. Well, and I know, Adam, you follow other racing series so closely, too. Um, you look at, you know, F1 or IndyCar, some of these others, there's excitement, anticipation. All right, where are we going this year? We know some going in ahead of time that are always annuals that are a given, but it's great to see when when they get to mix it up. NASCAR, I, I think that's what they're going for here is just the, you know, to, to go into it and not know what to expect when they do announce that schedule of sorts. The other thing that will help is, is number one, I, I really think we are at a time right now where motorsports is coming together as one instead of being a bunch of individuals where these rivalries and, and yeah. you know, you go to years past, it always seemed like there was a rivalry between IndyCar and NASCAR, F1 and IndyCar, and, and it doesn't seem that way anymore. And now the opportunity is there to learn from one another 
and maybe build on each other's success. And, and IndyCar has been very outside the box in the way they think. And, and with that connection now with Roger Penske and, mm-hmm. and Jay Fry, who's at IndyCar, who's an old NASCAR guy, you look at what they're doing in Nashville with the Grand Prix. Those are the kinds of things that will open the eyes of NASCAR to say, hey, it worked there. Will it work for us? Can we do a joint venture uh, with IndyCar and NASCAR? So, so to me, the possibilities are endless. And, and the open-mindedness of NASCAR, t- to me, is as wide open as it's ever been. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're at Coda because of the success F1's had there. Or last year when they had the shared weekend of the Indy Road Course uh, was phenomenal, too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited just to see things open up and change as they are. Uh, some of the other headlines that going into 2021, the return of Kyle Larson uh, to uh, the cup level, driving that five car for Hendrick. This is what I was wondering, Adam. You know, you had all these teams last year that adapted, had to adapt on the fly without practicing and qualifying. Kyle was winning a lot of dirt races, having a lot of success at that time, but he didn't go through that change that all those others did. And now with a new team and everything, do you think there's going to be an adjustment period of sorts for Kyle Larson? Do you think that he's going to be able to uh, drop right in and uh, like, like he never left? What, 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 what do you think Kyle's going to be out of the gate there? Biggest challenge likely will be, and, and it doesn't really apply to Daytona, and my, not much does, right? I mean, this right. is such a, a unique style of racing. But the biggest adjustment will be the lack of practice in, in qualifying and the absence of track time is he tries to get integrated back in to driving a stock car. Now, now the good news for Kyle is these cars are exactly the same this year that they were last year when he ran, uh, you know, the first five races of the year, four or five races of the year. So, so from that perspective, I, I think he will be able to adapt. But one of the, the benefits of practice, especially when you're with a new team, new crew chief and all those things, is that chemistry that you develop and that overall feel. Kyle's not going to have that. Nobody else is either. But because of his circumstance and his time away, he's one that could probably benefit from that as much or more so than anybody else. But, but across the board, I don't know what to expect, and, and I would temper expectations just because the Cup Series is, is so challenging and, and you never know. But, but we would all probably agree that Kyle's one of the most talented drivers out there. He's in a, as good a ride as he's ever been in, being in Hendrick Motorsports, and you look at the success they had last year winning races and, of course, Chase winning the championship. So uh, across the board, most experts would say they have a, a very high level of, of expectation for him. And I do believe he, he will win, uh, you know, multiple races this year. And, and I'd be shocked at the very least if he's not in the playoffs and, and, and has got a real chance to make some noise. And him coming into Hendrick, he's still relatively young there with uh, Chase Elliott winning the championship. And, of course, Alex Bowman and William Byron. It's amazing to see Hendrick Motorsports. doesn't seem like too long ago we were talking about their three-headed monster of Johnson, Earnhardt, Gordon, and now the youth movement of NASCAR right in the heart of uh, Hendrick here. Uh, th- this, th- it's wild how quickly this change of the, the face of Hendrick Motorsports here. The average age of those four drivers at Hendrick Motorsports is 26. And the, the next closest when you look at, at, at average age is 28 at, at RCR with Tyler Reddick 
and Austin Dillon. And, and I remember a couple of years ago when Roger Penske brought Ryan Blaney in full time and Joey Logano hadn't turned 30 yet. And Brad Keselowski was in his early thirties. And I thought to myself, Roger Penske's done an unbelievable job of positioning the future of that organization to be so young with these talented drivers and, and drivers that are capable of winning big races and championships as it was proven very early in the career of both Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano. And now we fast forward and that group is, is by average age, six years older than Hendrick. And, and not only does Hendrick have a, a young group of drivers, but they carry in momentum. Alex Bowman has proven that he can win and, and advance through the playoffs. William Byron got his first win late last year. Chase Elliott, you know, the champ, and, and so strong to end 2020. And now you bring in arguably one of the most talented drivers uh, to NASCAR scene in a while in Kyle Larson. So, so there is no doubt the dynamics are different because of the youth, but the talent level, I think, is very high. And, and this is an organization that, that appears to be ready to get back to where they were six, eight, ten years ago. Yeah, for sure. Adam Alexander, FS1, Judd, I guess you have the Jones Report this week. Uh, let's, talk, let's talk Bubba Wallace, that 23 team coming in, uh, running Toyotas, working with Joe Gibbs Racing and, and uh, Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan, of course, in that venture for uh, Bubba Wallace there. Um, Adam, this team, they, they sold out sponsorship. They have the JGR backing. This is a different situation than what we've talked usually in the last few years about new teams in the fact that they should be pretty competitive right away. We, we haven't said that in a long time about some of these newer teams in the, uh, in the Cup Series and NASCAR's highest level. I set the, the bar or the, the mark at about five weeks to figure out, you know, where we are and, and who's going to be competitive and who's got work to do. And, and if you look at the first five weeks of the schedule, you got Daytona into 500, and I'm not sure that really reveals much. The next week you're on the road course at Daytona, and, and that'll tell us a lot just because of the number of road course races on the schedule. Then you go to Miami, a, a worn out mile and a half. You go to Las Vegas, a, a smoother mile and a half. And then the, the flat mile in Phoenix. After NASCAR returns back to the East Coast from, from Phoenix, after those two weeks out West, I, I believe we'll really have our arms around who are the players? Because we will have, in fact, been to, to pretty much every style of track. Not a true short track, but Phoenix has some of those characteristics that will reveal who will likely be good at, at those types of venues. So to me, when you look at Bubba Wallace and that group, Daytona is a big opportunity for them. After that, if they can stay ahead of the game and, and, and make gains uh, between Daytona and when NASCAR leaves Phoenix, they could very well be in a position to surprise some people. But it's such a grind. And if you get behind, especially when you're a new organization, it's very difficult to catch up. Confidence is big, and, and if they can come out of the gate strong and, and do some positive things in those first five races, given the dynamics of those racetracks, they could be in position, who knows, maybe to go out and make the playoffs. Yeah, let me ask you about some uh, individual drivers here. Uh, his boss, Denny Hamlin, there has come so close to win the championship in the last couple of years, still looking for his first career title. Uh, you know, the, the crew chief pairing with Chris Gabehart has been phenomenal there with Denny Hamlin uh, through this stretch. Do you think Denny can finally break through and get this, uh, this title? He's been as good as anyone, it seems, the last couple of years, Adam. The, the best way to win a championship in this day and age in NASCAR 
is to make it to the championship four and, and just keep knocking on that door. And, and eventually, I believe things are going to go your way. Denny's really good at Phoenix, and so that plays to his hand. And, and, and yes, I mean, I, I do believe he's in position and as good a time as any to go out and, and win a championship. A great asset for Denny right now is Chris Gabehart on the pit box. It's not by mistake the last couple of years they've enjoyed the success that they have enjoyed on a regular basis with Gabehart coming over. He, he's just a tremendous psychologist on the pit box, in addition to setting up the car and, and creating speed for Denny and all those things. He is someone who understands how to massage that driver's ego and, and put them in a position to be successful, not just behind the wheel, but through all facets of what it takes to, to be a winner in the NASCAR world right now. And, and I think they've been a tremendous partnership. And, and so I do think that, that Denny is someone that we got to keep an eye on. And uh, he's he's proven. I mean, he's wanted every type of track. And, and maybe the most encouraging thing for Denny is how good he was in the, on the road course in the clash. I, I know that's a very small sample size, but that's an indicator that he's going to be someone that's very competitive on the road courses. We know how good he is when it comes to super speedway racing. Uh, great on the short tracks at places like Martinsville and, and Bristol. And, and as I said, Phoenix, where we'll have the, the championship race. So there's little doubt that, that he's going to be a real player and have a shot to get back to Phoenix and, and win that, that first championship. Kevin Harvick last year, he won more races than anybody, but still didn't make the championship four after a uh, bad race at a Martinsville there. Usually, Adam, we're talking about these guys around his age or retiring or you know maybe they take a step back. I mean, it's amazing that Kevin's racing right now as good as ever. How do you like his chances to uh, still compete for a title uh, the, the way that he's been running the last uh, couple of years here? Kevin's one of the most competitive people I've ever been around. And that is what creates the, the perfect environment for success at Stuart Haas Racing and in particular with that four team. He and, and Rodney Childers have been a tremendous marriage since he came over to SHR in 2014. That first year there together, they won the championship. And Kevin said some things during the, the media tour before the season began about the importance of putting last year behind him and moving on. And I think it would be easy for many to say, hey, we won nine races last year and let's pick it up and get going. Don't forget, Kevin has not won since Bristol in the playoffs. And, and when he won that race, there were many that believe he's off and running again and here we go. And you talked about the, the stumbles that he had in the round of eight and eventually missed out on the championship four. And so that, that championship four is a place that Kevin's used to being. And the way last year finished has left the sour taste in his mouth, I'm sure. And, and that team is as motivated as they've ever been. I'd be hard pressed to predict that they're going to win nine races again. That's hard to imagine. And that was quite a feat last year. But, but it's also hard to imagine that they won't win multiple races and, and find their way back into the playoffs and put themselves in position again to go to Phoenix and run for a championship. Tell me about Kyle Busch. Won the championship just a couple of years ago. Only one win last season. Very un-Kyle Busch-like. Uh, what do you think about uh, Kyle's chances to have a big year in 2021? I believe he's got a new crew chief, too. He does. Uh, ben Bayshore, who was in the Xfinity Series and, and won a lot of races there, won some races in the Xfinity Series with Kyle, actually. This one's going to be interesting uh, to see how it plays out. 
Adam Stevens, his old crew chief, goes over to work with Christopher Bell. And the only driver at Joe Gibbs Racing to win multiple races last year was, in fact, Denny Hamlin. Kyle's only win came at Texas in the fall, and it was a little bit fuel mileage. I mean, they had to nickel and dime that thing to, to make it work. It wasn't a typical dominating win for Kyle. He's won two times since June of 2019 at Pocono. Of course, he won the championship in 2019 at Miami, and so that was a, a huge win for him, and you can't discount that. But he has not been winning on a regular basis. Uh, he wins the Bush Clash. That's got to be a real confidence boost for that race team. I'm sure he'll be fast in the Daytona 500, even though he's never won the biggest race in NASCAR. He'll be a player there. He's another one, though, that, that I'm anxious to see. Where does he fit in on the road course at Daytona? How does he do at Miami and Las Vegas and Phoenix? If they can come out of the gate strong and, and develop that confidence and show that they're going to have speed at all types of uh, racetracks, then he's someone that you have to consider uh, as a championship front runner. Uh, Mark Jurex Jr. just signed an extension this week to stay at JGR. Same thing with him with Kyle Busch. He only had one win last year, but it was running up front a lot there. Uh, Truex, uh, you know, th this stretch that he's been on, dating back to his championship at Furniture Row, has been incredible, the, the step that he's taken. Do you, do you expect him more wins for, for Truex in 2021? I do, and the main reason for that, and we saw this in the clash, he's an unbelievable road racer. And all these additional road course races are going to benefit that team uh, in a big way, in, in my opinion. And so there's there's no doubt in my mind he'll win multiple races. I'd, I'd be shocked if he didn't. And it's nice to get this contract extension out of the way now so that's not a distraction as we go throughout the balance of 2021. Second year with James Small on the pit box. Of course, Cole Pern is gone, and most of his success in NASCAR's top series was with Cole Pern calling the shots. But – but I think James Small is a, a great crew chief, got acclimated last year, and Martin is no doubt due for a bounce-back year. And, and, and I say that as if they didn't get it done last year. They, they had some really good races and couldn't close the deal, but one win is, is not going to meet their expectations, and, and I do believe he'll be better than that in 2021. Who do you think is going to be a guy that has a breakout year of some sorts? What you know, getting multiple wins that we haven't seen before, whether it's a, a Byron or Bowman or Blaney or something like that. Who do you think is the guy of that that takes that next step? Two guys that I would point to. You mentioned one of them there, Ryan Blaney. He, he's just, gosh, he's he's so close. I mean, just feel like he's on the verge. And you know, the the best place for him to close the deal is has been on the super speedways, and, and that's where he's been strongest. But you, you can't ignore what he's been able to do other places, and, and they've been in the hunt so many times. I go to Las Vegas early last year when a strategy call took him out of position to win when he had dominated the day. That's just one example of what they're capable of. And Penske was great last year. His teammates, you know, Brad Keselowski and Joe Logano both made the championship four and combined to win seven races. So put Ryan Blaney on the board and put Christopher Bell on the board. Mm. He goes from Levine Family Racing uh, last year as a rookie and now goes over to drive that 20 car at, at Joe Gibbs. And he's partnered, and I said this earlier, with Adam Stevens, who had been with Kyle Busch. Uh, across the board, you know, they've got a lot of good things going for them. 
And Bell is just a tremendous talent. We saw it in the other series, both in, in the Camping World Truck Series and the Xfinity Series. I'd be shocked if he doesn't win, maybe win multiple races and, and put himself in the playoffs. The uh, rookie class headlined by uh, Chase Briscoe and uh, Anthony Alfredo's in that bunch. I, I don't think Ross Chastain's eligible for rookie points, but he, he's a de facto rookie of sorts, it seems, with his first year in a full-time elite ride of sorts there. What do you think of that group, of that, uh, that, that group coming in, filling those seats uh, there, headlined by Briscoe? Briscoe will, will be interesting to watch because he, he won nine races last year in the Xfinity Series. And basically came out this time a year ago and said, if, if I don't win eight or nine races, my career might be over. He, he just knew that's what he had to do to get noticed. And it's worked out for him. And, and he replaces Clint Boyer. SHR obviously has got the tools they need to be successful. We saw it last year with Kevin Harvick. Briscoe's a real humble guy, uh, very family-oriented, just the kind of kid you want to root for. And so from that perspective, I hope it works out for him. There will be challenges as a rookie. He's never made a cup start, never been on a cup car. And so this will all be new to him. But a couple of things that, that play into his hands. I've talked about the, the road courses on the schedule. He's a good road racer, so that helps him a lot. Circle Bristol. He's got a dirt background. I mean, just like Tony Stewart, grew up in Indiana racing on the dirt, third-generation driver, comes from a dirt racing family. When we go to Bristol in March – that's a, a big, big opportunity for that race team to capitalize, sneak a win early, and, and have a chance to put themselves into the playoffs. I'm, I'm not necessarily predicting that sure. uh, because there's some other great drivers that have dirt backgrounds that will be right there and have something to say about it. But, but that is a, a race that plays right into the hands of the rookie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're you're going to be uh, calling a lot of Xfinity races this year, and I know you'll be following the truck series as well. Uh, what, what are you expecting from those series? I imagine uh, the, the Xfinity series, this thing looks like it's Austin Cendrick's to lose. And, and don't don't count out A.J. Allmendinger, who's yeah. running the series full time, third car for colleague. Justin Haley, his teammate, has won three consecutive races on super speedways. He'll try to make it four in a row this weekend, and uh, he made the championship four last year after winning three races. Daniel Hemrick has never won in the in the top three series of NASCAR, goes to Joe Gibbs Racing, huge opportunity for him in his career. Can Justin Allgaier finally win at Daytona? Can he finally win a championship? Since he went over to Junior Motorsports a number of years ago, he's been a fixture in the championship four, but has just not been able to close the deal and there's little doubt, and you said it, the front runner in the Xfinity Series is going to be Austin Sendrick, who tries to repeat his champion. We already know he'll be in a cup car in 2022. When it comes to the Camping World Truck Series, I, I do like Sheldon Creed, who won five times a year ago and, and is the reigning champ. But I also look at Zane Smith. He's a tremendous talent, and I, I, I really believe he is a, a budding superstar in NASCAR, not just in the truck series, but as we look down the road, Zane Smith has got a lot going for him. And you can never rule out Brett Moffitt. Uh, Brett Moffitt is, is someone who always brings it to the table, and he'll be running full-time in both the Camping World Truck Series 
and the Xfinity Series. Wow, that's uh, that's that's going to be great for him to uh, get that opportunity. Uh, Fox, you guys always go all out with uh, with NASCAR coverage. Uh, tell us what's going on uh, with uh, with you guys uh, for the outlook of this season. I know I'm excited that uh, Clint Boyer is on board for uh, Cup races now. You know, I, I worked with Clint Boyer a decent amount last year, and and he's he's made a number of appearances in the booth with us on the Xfinity side in the last five or six years. But last year we did a lot together uh, on the Xfinity side and I racing, and and he's just he's made for TV. He just is such got such a good personality and such great energy and a tremendous balancing act to Jeff Gordon, who is a four-time champion and has got tremendous knowledge and credibility. But Jeff is, is not as outspoken or as energetic as, as what Clint is. Clint is just a dynamic personality. And when you put those two together, they're a tremendous combination. And, and so it, the, the races are going to be, regardless of what's happening on the track, the races on Fox will be entertaining just because of, of the way that Clint Boyer is able to stir things up. Yeah. Uh, are you guys doing the driver analyst uh, deal again with the Xfinity races? We, we are. We open up with a real good one. Uh, Clint will actually be in the booth Saturday at Daytona, and his old boss, Tony Stewart, will join us for the very first time. We've tried to get Tony uh, so many times over the years and never been able to work it out. He was supposed to be with us last year and because of the pandemic and, and schedule shifting, he couldn't. So that'll be our duo for Daytona to be determined who else uh, will be with us throughout the year. And, and with COVID protocols and drivers having to be careful of where they go and, and all that, we, we, you know, we're not totally sure, but, but I'm confident that we will have some really good booth combinations. That's great. That's great. And, uh, these Xfinity races uh, that you'll be doing throughout the year, uh, I, I just need you from time to time uh, give a shout out to my guy David Starr uh, in that Waterburger car. He's uh, uh, doing doing his thing. Uh, I, I love seeing Starr out there still competing in his fifties. David's a, a great guy, and I remember when I started covering NASCAR in the early two thousands. It's been over twenty years ago now, and and David, you know, was at that time running in a truck series and, and still somewhat of a newcomer to the national scene and, and to fast forward all these years later and, and to see him, you know, still hanging around and, and being such a good spokesperson and ambassador uh, for the sport. It, it's great. David's a fun guy and, and you always root for him because now a little bit more of an underdog now, right. With some of the teams that he aligns with, but, but it's always nice when David's competing at the racetrack. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I'm doing a, a weekly racing show with him now, and so we'll have to get you on and and uh, go back to tell some of those old truck stories days you guys had. Uh, I've heard a few things here and there those days. It was a bit of a different time, it seems, uh, <laughs> where we're at now. But, uh, Adam, uh, before we let you go, tell us uh, where people can find you and uh, where they can watch this weekend of the uh, coverage from Daytona there. On social media, if you want to follow along, I'm on Twitter at Adam1Alexander, and uh, that's Adam, the the numeral one, Alexander, same thing on Instagram. So we'd love to have you follow along there. When it comes to Fox and FS1, I'll be heading to Daytona and, and on practice shows and qualifying and, of course, the race for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, a quick pop or two maybe in the pre-race coverage race day uh, Sunday for the Daytona 500. And then a full recap uh, Monday back in studio for NASCAR race up six Eastern time on FS1 is we look back on the 63rd Daytona 500. 
Yes, uh, should be a lot of fun, Adam. We've enjoyed always talking to you over these years, man. We'll catch up again soon. Thanks for the time as always. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Tyler. Have a great one. Big thanks to Adam Alexander of FS1 for joining us here on the Jones Report. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges is back here with you now. We bring in from O'Connor Advisory Group, it is Brian O'Connor. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, before we break down the Super Bowl and talk about the other happenings in this week's edition of Coach Bo's Football Fix, what's going on these days at O'Connor Advisory Group, Bo? Oh, man, it's, uh, it's a good time of year to be working. We're working hard. We're working busy for you guys. Um, you know, this is just kind of numbers crunching time. Everybody's thinking about the taxation, uh, tax bills and what's going on. Uh, we do not do taxes, just in case you have a question about that. If we do have a great strategic partner for that, if you want help with that. But it's a great time that if you want to fund an IRA, you want to put some money in, you need to put some money in for last year, you can still do that before April 15th. Or if you're saying, when you're looking at your taxes, hey, I've got leftover monies. I want to put some money away, get started with the retirement plan. Partner, give us a That's great, Bo. We uh, certainly appreciate that. And uh, people can contact you uh, online, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com, O-A-G-K-S.com is uh, where they can see the uh, website. And uh, you're also available by phone, 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. And by email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's brian.oconnor at lpl.com. Bo, the Bucks had a dominating win over the uh, Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And uh, starting there, first off, how'd the Bucks get it done? What what happened? How were they able to have such a dominating performance on Sunday? Well, we talked last week and we said there was really only one scenario where the Bucks could beat the Chiefs. And that is exactly the scenario that just happened. It was threefold. Tom Brady, do not turn the ball over. Run the football with Leonard Fournette. And the defensive backs were going to have to play a spectacular game. That was the one point we knew they were going to double-team Kelsey. They were going to double-team Hill. And they had to play spectacularly. And that's why, like, for instance, I picked against them was for that reason. I didn't think the Bucks' defensive backs could play that well. But they played the best game they've played all season. And they did it at the right time. I mean, those three things, that was the mix we said last week. If the Bucs were going to win, that's what had to happen. That's what unfortunately did happen. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, he was running for his life all night. The offensive line really struggled without Eric Fisher. And, of course, they've been without Mitchell Schwartz uh, for most of the second half of the season there. I know that we talked about that, hey, the Chiefs could work around not having Fisher and such, but – uh, it seemed like they really just had no answer for that uh, front seven there for uh, Tampa. Yeah, we did talk about that last week. And I really thought, I know you thought the same thing, and I thought, you know, you can work around it. But the big thing to work around was to run the football. And the Chiefs abandoned the run in the early second quarter. They absolutely abandoned it. And when you have that situation, the front four can just say, hey, we're going out to the quarterback. If you don't have the fear of a screen pass, a run game, or, or anything that's going to make the defensive back, the defensive line stay at home a little bit, well, your quarterback's going to get hit all day long. And, yes, you can blame 
the two tackles not being the regular tackles, that that is a big deal, but a lot of it. And I saw Andy Reid after the game uh, said uh, on ESPN during the the uh, the, uh, the press conference that he could have helped Mahomes by running the ball more. When the Chiefs did run the ball, the very few times they did it, they were just streaking for yards. Um, even in the third quarter, on the first possession, they get the big run from Hilaire, from Edwards Hilaire, and it's like they abandoned the run. And I was sitting here watching the game going, run the damn football. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, they open up that second half. Just run the ball. I mean, right. run the ball. You got to run. They, they open up the second they half. They run the football, they have a chance to get back in the game. Yeah, you opened up the second half, had that big run from Clyde edwards Lair, and then it was like you could have put him on a milk carton after that. He was just missing. You didn't see him yeah. again at that point. So, uh, for Tampa, this team starts out the year 7-5, and five, and we knew that there was going to be some struggles initially with not having you know, a, a real offseason and first year with Brady and Gronk and Antonio Brown, and you know the list goes on and on. But then they finish out the year 8-0 and go through just a, a hell of a stretch, beating the Saints, Packers, and Chiefs. All three were Super Bowl caliber, Super Bowl quality teams. How did the Bucs get it done, not just beating the Chiefs, but going on this 8-0 stretch to close out the season to bring on the title? We mentioned and we mentioned that, you know, this was really an all-star team. In many ways, because the exact verbiage we used last week was said that this Bucks team is not just Tom Brady. It's all the pieces they put around him, getting Gronkowski. How big was Leonard Fournette, the playoff run? He was probably their MVP during the during their playoff run. Um, he probably could have been Super Bowl MVP. Um, it, it really was keeping those, those front four of the defense, JPP and, uh, and Dominica Sue, they were healthy. They weren't tired. They weren't playing much as much throughout the season and it gave them time to gel. And since that chiefs game, really the second half of the first chiefs bucks game from there, the bucks have been unbeatable. And, you know, and as a saints fan, we were the best week, best week, best that anybody played against the bucks was the game. The saints played against them and they still beat them. Um, I just, a lot of it is they've got great players. Bruce Arians is a heck of a coach. He puts coaches in good positions to do their jobs. It helps you got number 12. I mean, you, you can see that Tom Brady is not the best quarterback in the league. He's not going to go out there and by himself beat you. But he does bring this air of, hey, I'm Tom Brady. You get with me. Let's all play together. And what he did was bring the Patriot way to the Bucks. I mean, yeah. everyone plays the yeah. role. No one bitch. I mean, think about it. You've got an offense that has Tom Brady, Ron Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, and Leonard Fournette. And no one the entire season bitched about how many catches they weren't getting. No one bitched about how many rushes they weren't getting. Fournette was, was missing for half a season. Antonio Brown gets signed late in the season. Gronkowski didn't get a lot of play early in the year. They were keeping them healthy. They knew, stay close, get into the playoffs, and you got a chance. Yeah. And, 
And there was a point in the season, too, with this Bucs team, we didn't even know for sure they were going to make the playoffs at one point. So, yeah, this group just really evolved and did a great job to get to this point. Uh, last thing on this game, and then we'll just kind of move on. Tom Brady, seven Super Bowl titles now, uh, you know, the six he had with New England and now this one here in Tampa Bay. Did this change at all any way you feel about Tom Brady or view him as a quarterback? What, what did this do for you about just the all way right. you think of Tom Brady? So I'm different. I'm different than every other person in the world when it comes to the GOAT. I hate that connotation. I hate anyone being called the GOAT. There is no one greatest player of all time, not in any sport, not in any part of life. So calling one person the greatest of all time is a bunch of bullshit. (laughs) However, Tom Brady is absolutely in the argument, if you're going to have an argument, I hate arguing about sports, of who the greatest of all time is. He's arguably the greatest. Yes, you cannot argue with that many that many championships. Now, look, there's other players that you could say, given the situation's different, how would they have adjusted? You know, you can make the argument, okay, well, who was the same generation great with, 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 with Brady? Well, it was Manny. What if you flip them and flip their teams? You know, there's always that argument. That's why I don't do the argument. I think that's a bunch of crap. But I do think that what he established was, yeah, he was so important to what New England did all those years. And, you know, if you want to call him the GOAT, call him the GOAT. That's your preference. I don't believe in calling one the GOAT. I do think he's amongst about five guys. There's five of them to me that I think are better than everybody else. And that's Brady, Manning, Montana, Marino, Elway. They're all different. They all played different. They were all different types of players and different types of systems. So you can all call them all system quarterbacks. I don't believe in that. Greatness is greatness. And why can't we just enjoy greatness? Why do we have to label it that someone's the GOAT? Just enjoy how good he is and how good the players around him. The best thing about Tom Brady is not how he plays. It's that people want to play with him. It's that people will go and play with him and they will shut up and play. Think about, you can make a list of the players that have played for him and nobody went and bitched about it. And whether that was the Patriot way or it's the Brady way this year, no one bitched about it. That's what happened to the Bucks. That's what happened with the Patriots all those years. He is the biggest part of that, clearly. And there's nothing you can take away from him on that. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Yeah. If you're going to rank him one, number one overall, that's your ranking, go for it. I don't have a number one overall. I got five at the top. Sure. So I'll take any of those five, and there's not a lot of drop-off between one and five. Yeah. And that's fair. I, I hate that MJ LeBron debate too. Yeah. I mean, it's just a that's waste of time. You don't go anywhere. An example, because if you use the example of Brady won the most championships, well, who is that in basketball? Uh, Bill it's Russell. Not MJ. Right. It's not LeBron. It's Bill Russell. You know, so that's where like that thing to me, to me is kind of a crock. Just enjoy the player for who the player is. We just do that. Why can't we? Why do we have to argue? You know why we have to argue? Because ESPN and Fox Sports have programmed us that way. Yep. Yeah, thank you. With what we see in the mornings on Get Up or whatever the stuff that was before that years ago, 
Skip Bayless has made millions of dollars off it. And every time we see Skip Bayless, what do we think? This guy's so full of shit. Because he doesn't believe half the shit he's saying. So why argue about it? Just enjoy it while you're in the moment. If you're yeah. a Chiefs fan, I said this last week, if you're a Chiefs fan, you don't know how long this is going to last. Right. So don't worry about how it ranks versus the Patriots 10 years ago or the 49ers from the 80s. Don't worry about it. Just enjoy the time you got. Yeah. Because yeah. it's fleeting. Right. I'm with you. 110%. Waste of time. Uh, don't don't fuel the fire. You know, give Skip Bayless and company more reason to, to make a paycheck and all that stuff. You know, they're just full crap and wasting everybody's time. Uh, with that being we said, we all want to have that barroom argument. We all want to have that bar, right. that bar that bar room argument. At the same time, what's constructive of it? Why can't we just argue? Why can't we just say, "Hey, man, that was incredible"? Right. Why, why I mean, can't? Won seven championships, and to do that in this generation, it's incredible. It is yeah. better championship-wise than any player has ever been. The only player in sports history that I can think of that it's as, it's as impressive as what Brady's done was Mickey Mantle. That's the only player I can think of that was so dominant in, in their time of championships. Right. And I think it's even harder now. So, I mean, that's that's my hat off to Tom Brady right there. That's okay. the difference. We'll move on. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's all great points. So, uh, looking at this Bucks team, uh, real quick, Bo, um, we, we saw how different of a team they were in the second half of the year. What does this Bucks team need to do to get back to the Super Bowl again to continue what they started from that second half of the season? Okay, so I, I pulled up the salary cap piece, and so now the nerd in me gets to come out. So, I love football and I love nun- crunching numbers. Because well, I am a financial advisor, so the the salary cap thing is now so fascinating to me. So I'm looking at the salary cap. The Bucks are actually under the cap for next to this coming season. They're 28 million under, which is pretty impressive considering the cap's going down. Um, however, they lose Gronk, they lose Leonard Fournette. Both of them are free agents, so they have to figure out if those two are going to come back. That's the first priority: is figuring out. Is Grock coming back? I, I do think Grock's going to come back for one season. And he already said it. Yeah, I think he's going to sign a one-year deal. Brady's in their contract for one more year. I think those two will stay together. They can afford him. Um, the next thing will then be, will they get Leonard Fournette? I don't think Leonard Fournette's going to be back. I think he played well enough in the playoffs. That someone's going to offer him a multi-year deal worth more money. And you just can't mess with that. Now, what they could get him back is if we see across the board in the league, not a lot of multi-year deals. If we don't see a lot of multi-year deals, then you're going to see Fournette stay in Tampa. You'll also see other veteran players now say, hey, we all can go in and get, make money next season. Sure. Because the next year, the salary cap is going to make a massive jump. Because you're coming out of the COVID year, so now you're going to have next year, the cap is based on total revenue. The revenue is going to go way up because you have the fans back in the stands, plus the new TV rights and the new streaming revenue rights are being negotiated now. We'll have that information soon. So next year is going to be a huge salary cap year, 2022. And so I think you'll see a lot of veteran players who might sign one-year deals this year. 
And you could see a few of them take the one-year deal, go to Tampa, team up with Tom Brady for a year, make another run at it. Yeah. Uh, you know, when the guy that jumps off the page at me, it might do that, is Patrick Peterson's the first one. Mm-hmm. I know he's there's some talk there about that. There'll be other ones. There'll be other veterans in places that say, hey, I don't want to sign a five-year I don't want to sign a deal and go from there. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, for the uh, Chiefs, this team, uh, you know, they got exposed a bit. They clearly have some holes to fill. Um, I know they've been on an incredible run the last three years, but this team does have some challenges ahead of them. What do the Chiefs need to do to, uh, to get back to the Super Bowl for a third straight year? Okay, so the Chiefs salary cap-wise, they're over the cap right now. They're $18 million, which is very manageable. Um, what I do suspect is you'll see a couple of cuts. Um, I can see both Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher getting cut. Uh, it doesn't mean they won't sign back. It just means that the salary cap is set up to where those two cuts alone get them back under the cap. You can re-sign them, give them a big bonus, prorate the bonus for the rest of the contract. So that's what you might see with those two. Um, I think the first thing the Chiefs have got to do is, is they got to shore up the offensive line, obviously. Um, I would expect they're going to probably hit free agency on a few of those guys. Um, I don't know exactly what that'll be just yet, but maybe looking for some help at tackle. Um, I don't think that Eric Fisher is going to get cut and then re-signed. I think that Mitchell Schwartz may. But I think if the Chiefs decide they're going to cut Eric Fisher to save the salary cap, which is a salary cap savings of almost $12 million, then I don't think they bring him back because the cost for that left tackle. Uh, so I think you'd see them to go sign somebody else. And I think the Chiefs are also a destination team the same way that the Bucks are. You might see some veterans that say, hey, we can go over to Kansas City, get paid a million, two million, whatever the minimums are, play for a season, and they fill some holes. That would be the way if I'm the Chiefs, I would go. I was trying to find those guys to fill in some holes for a one-year deal. And then you know you have the big salary cap the next year and the increase. You can start making some deals there. So you're not going to get young quick, and they're not necessarily old. So – I think you can, you've got Hill and you've got Kelsey. Um, you've got Edwards Hilaire. So the, your, your, your best skill position guys are there. Look for the Chiefs to go get a couple of veteran wide receivers, maybe a couple of, maybe a defensive back, a linebacker for certain. Um, I'll tell you the name to look for for the Chiefs. If it gets close to opening day, it'll be Quan Alexander. Okay. I'm going to cut him and he's going to be available. Um, uh, also, here's the one I think's out there. This is an idea that someone's going to get this guy. I don't think it's necessarily the Chiefs, but J.J. Watt's going to sign a one-year deal somewhere. He's going to get cut. J.J. Watt's going to get cut on March the 1st. It saves the, the Texans a bunch of money. He doesn't want to be there and go through a rebuild. I think he's the guy who might look at the Chiefs. I think he'll probably go to the Steelers, put his brother, but Take a look at that idea. Hmm. That would be uh, something and uh, get people excited. Uh, it's, sure. a destination. it's a destination. And you got to think 
as you're a veteran player and you can take a limited deal for one year, why wouldn't you want to play on a team that has Patrick Mahomes? You've got a chance. Yeah, I like that. That's good. You uh, got to keep Dan Sorensen, right? Oh, <laughs> I know you guys both know my feelings on that guy. Uh, we you, all have the same feelings on that guy, yeah. I'll tell you one thing I did see with the, with the Chiefs defensively. So in the very first quarter, Brady's coming out. He's looking at the, de- at the defense. He's clearly going to go to whatever side Sorensen's on. Chiefs knew this. Spagnola knew this. And Spagnola did something I thought was really smart. He moved Sorensen clear up into the box like a damn linebacker. And all I can think of when I saw that, because it was effective. Now you don't know where Brady, you're not forcing Brady. He's not, he doesn't know where he's going to go. So you can't force him somewhere, but now at least you got to make him look, do some looks. I wouldn't be surprised if you see more of that next season. I don't know what his situation is there. But don't be surprised if he they, if the Chiefs move to a more of a flex, flexible 4-2. Four guys up front, two linebackers, a fifth back, a fifth uh, safety, a third, a third safety, basically, two quarters, two safeties. And then that other safety creeps up to the line of scrimmage. Normally that's Tyron Matthew. But man, I can see that being Daniel Sorensen, and I can see him doing a fairly good job at that. Dan, Dan Sorensen is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Let him go. Don't bring him back. Let him run. I did run. not know that part. I did not look to see where he was at. I did not pull the whole list. No yeah, way. But, Absolutely not. Yeah, Under no circumstances. the contract, let him go. Let him walk, please. I have please. Been the, I've been the guy that I think he's the worst defensive back in the league. Oh, he's awful. I, I don't think he's very good at all. He's someone that every time I do see him make a mistake, I know I text you. Yes, um, I do the same to you. Yes, it's, it's and, and so, for every good play, there's five bad plays from Dan Sorensen. Yeah. And, and we all know why he's popular. We don't have to say the words, do we? Oh, uh, we, we know. We know. I mean, we know. Well, you know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, let's move on. A few more things before we uh, wrap up with you, Bo. Uh, Hall of Fame class was announced. I know Tom's upset that – He's got Jory Holt didn't get in, but uh, it is a fantastic class. All the uh, nominees were very deserving. Headline by uh, Peyton Manning. Uh, this is one of the better groups we've seen. This is an incredible group. Um, everyone elected, those five guys that were elected, they are all deserving. And you can't argue with any of them. Um, I'm really happy Fanica got in. I'm shocked a little bit that, that Alan Fanica got in because he's a lineman and you just don't see a lot of love for offensive linemen. Um, I mean, John Lynch was, I mean, just great in his career. He was one of the greatest safeties of all time. Calvin Johnson, I mean, he's Megatron. What are you going to do? Woodson, I mean, is one of the all-time greats in his position at corner. And you got Peyton Manning. I mean, that even shouldn't even be a discussion. Um, there are other people who are absolutely worthy that I wish they could have all gotten them in there. But, man, you can't argue any of these five. You might say that someone else is a little more worthy, but, man, there's none of these five guys that don't deserve that jacket. Yeah. That's well said. It's an impressive group. And, uh, you know, the the Hall of Fame is the story of the NFL. And you ask yourself, can you tell the story of the league without these individuals? And I think the five they put in – I mean, even – even Megatron, I know that he retired early, 
But just the impact he had on the game for that short stretch was unbelievable. Yeah, I, he was so incredible in his time. And, and kind of how I, how I think of it as a Hall of Famer in all sports is were you the kind of player that your position, you were either the top guy or one of the top guys. Are you a difference maker? And Megatron was definitely a difference maker. I mean, he, his, his nickname alone shows you how great he is. I mean, he well, was just a different animal than everybody else. Well, and I think for him, the longevity question was out there. But once Terrell Davis got in, it's not an issue anymore. Yeah, I, I think you. I think when people want to bring up like the um, longevity thing, that's where you're kind of grasping at straws to say why someone shouldn't be in. Instead of saying that, just say, "Look, this guy was dominant. He should get in." There's no minimum number of years in the NFL, in the football hall of fame, almost in the NFL hall of fame. The football hall of fame doesn't have a requirement for number of years in the league. The example would be right now. If Patrick Mahomes didn't play another game the rest of his career, would he be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely he would. I mean, no, no, without a question. I mean, he's the best quarterback for a certain period of time. Yeah. So that's where I think that I would – if anyone wants to argue about Megatron getting in, that is some Skip Bayless arguing about some bullshit right there. By him, Colin Coward – Shen Sharp, I don't want to hear it. Get off my TV. This is why I don't watch you guys in the morning. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. All right. Last thing before we let you go. Um, trades and offseason moves. It's going to be quite the quarterback market. We've been talking about it the last few weeks. Still waiting to see where Deshaun Watson goes. But uh, Carson Wentz on the market now. And uh, the Jets have fielded a lot of calls about Sam Darnold. It seems. What do you make of the quarterback market right now? Well, I think it's going to be a merry-go-round. I think it's going to be a merry-go-round, and I think the next one to watch, I mean, obviously Carson Wentz is probably next. Um, I don't understand why anyone would want him. I'm going to be real blunt. Oh, yeah, and and two first-round picks? I mean, like, I wouldn't give up a third-round pick for Carson Wentz. So I, I am a fan of a team that needs a quarterback. My quarterback's retiring, Drew Brees. If I was the general manager of the New Orleans Saints and the Eagles called me to ask me if I wanted Carson Wentz, I would say, I'll take Carson Wentz off your hands if you give me a number one pick. I wouldn't give a number. I wouldn't give a third round pick for Carson Wentz. And and the Indianapolis Colts are going to be a team that doesn't. The, the Frank Reich's going to think he it's going to take someone who thinks they can fix Carson Wentz. Frank Reich worked with them a lot when he was in Philly. If he thinks he can fix him, then they're going to do it. It's a huge mistake. Anyone that gives up any draft capital for Carson Wentz is making a humongous mistake. Now, what I also think about that deal is it shows the Eagles doubly messed up because they fired a coach who said, I don't want Carson Wentz. <laughs> right. What the hell is that? So I, I think that the Eagles organization is going to have some issues. They're going to pay a lot of salary cap money, which they're going to go ahead and do, but they're going to have to pay somebody to take him. They're not getting two first-round picks for Carson Wentz. And if a team does give the, uh, Carson Wentz to, uh, someone gives two picks for Carson Wentz, they should fire their general manager immediately. 
Would you rather have Goff or Wentz? Goff. I would have traded Goff for Wentz. No, I, there is no starting well, that's, No, would you rather have Goff or Wentz? I, I, have would, rather, I would rather have Goff a hundred times out of a hundred. Right. And, and the Rams had to pay the Lions to take him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at it that all right, so I, I was talking to somebody about him about the Carson because I have a good friend who's an Eagles fan. And I said, he said, what would you do? And I said, I said, look, if I'm the the general manager of the of a team, and my coach walked into the room and said, I want you to help me to get Carson Wentz, I would tell him, go downstairs, go run on the treadmill for 30 minutes, take a protein shake, go downstairs. Then I would call my own immediately. And I would say, I want a contract extension and a bonus for dealing with this much freaking stupidity. And if he doesn't give it to me, I would tell him immediately it is me or the coach because I'm not dealing with that. It is such a bad idea to bring Carson Wentz onto a team right now. I, there is no way I would touch that guy. No way. So whatever team's trading for Carson Wentz, good luck. Just hope it's not mine. Um, in the case of Sam Darnold uh, being looked at, I like Sam Darnold. Uh, you know, it reminds me of if if the Jets are going to move on from Sam Darnold, uh, if I was in, in charge of management, based on where they're going to draft, I don't know if, if anyone available there is better than what they already have in Sam Darnold. Um, and Sam's been put in such an awful situation the last couple of years here. I feel like, Bo, if the Jets decide to move on from Sam Darnold, uh, they might be making the same mistake similar to what the Dolphins did in a Ryan Tannehill, not giving him enough time there. You, you could be very right there. I think that it's a two-fold situation with Sam Darnold. Is if you trade Sam Darnold, you better be getting a quarterback back or you better like someone so much in this draft that you will take them number two. Because we know Trevor Lawrence is going one. So whether that's Justin Fields or um, I can't think of the young man's name from BYU that everyone's talking about. Zach Wilson. So if it's one of those two guys and you're in love, that's fine. But getting rid of Sam Darnold, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. They've got so many holes to fill. Um, You know, we don't really know who he is yet. You know, what's to say he doesn't have a great – that he doesn't step up next season and become, you know, uh, I don't want to say Josh Allen. You know, that was where I was about to go. But he doesn't have that kind of talent. But who's well, to say he doesn't step up become a better quarterback and a better fit? You know, you just can't keep grasping at straws and thinking that eventually one's going to work. You, you've got to make have a plan. And, again, the only way I'm trading him right now if I'm the Jets is if I have another quarterback in the deal. If the Jets are going to make a deal to, you know, let's say it was to the Cowboys for a Dak Prescott deal or something along those lines, maybe. But who wants Sam Darnold that bad? Right. I mean, you're not going to get value for it. That's the other piece. You have an unproven commodity. What are you going to get for it? So I don't know. I mean, you, you have to find the right guy, the right team to be the partner with in that trade. I think it's a valueless trade to make that deal. Yeah, I would agree to that. Um, I would give Sam Darnold another shot and, and uh, you know, give him a weapon to work with. Let's say for that number 
you know, two, three pick, whatever it is. What if you give him a weapon, one of those great wide receivers that are going to be available in Devonta Smith or Jamar Chase or something like that? That changes the dynamic completely for Sam Darnold. Yeah, and there's two of them that are there that are, they're can't misses. You mentioned them both. I mean, they're they're both can't misses. They can easily go two and three in this draft. <clears throat> the Cincinnati Bengals are sitting there five praying that one of them drops to five. That's not going to happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would – if I was the Jets, you know you're not one player away from being competitive. So start stockpiling young talent. So go get the best available player at your draft pick. Hang on to that quarterback because you can make a quarterback deal next year too. Yeah. 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 All right, Paul. The one quarterback that's going to be interesting to me, there's two that I think – two things that could happen that are interesting to me – one is if a Deshaun Watson trade happens. You know, I know this week now the Texans are saying they're not trading him. Someone's going to offer them a package. Someone's going to come up and say, here's the wild package. Whether that is, you know, I don't, whether that's the Bears, whether that's Indy, Indy can't do it because it's going to be in the Clinton division. So the Texans never make that deal. You know, you know the, the Raiders could be a team that thinks about something like that, which then leads me to wonder, what are the Vegas Raiders going to do at quarterback? Derek Carr has one more year in his contract. They can get out of there cheap, too. Uh, I know they're going to talk about trying to shop him. They're going to find the same thing with Derek Carr that the Eagles are going to find with Carson Wentz in that they're not going to get what they think they can get for him but I wouldn't be surprised to see him get packaged in a deal to a team like the Texans who say, okay, we'll take him and some picks swap out of Watson. And then you, and then make the salary cap piece work there. Um, I could see that because again, the Texans are are more than a year away. So the Deshaun Watson one will make a lot of the, you know, blocks fall from there. Um, the Raiders will be interesting. Um, I think there's be a few different What are the Dolphins going to do? Do the Dolphins like Tua? You know, I was listening to a podcast a couple days ago. I can't think of which one it was right now. They're taking bets on how many quarterbacks, how many teams are going to have a new starting quarterback next season. And I was thinking about it. It's going to be at least 10. I think it's 16. Yeah, I mean, I – I think it's going to be in the teens most likely as well. Um, we already have three. Um, so we know three already. We know that the, um, we know the, the Lions, we know the Rams, and we know the Saints are going to have the, the, Jag- and the Jags. And the Jags. We have four already. So there'll be some March 1 cuts. There'll be a couple of trades. You know, it and the Colts. also comes down to who falls in love? What GM – and the Colts, yes, yeah, so five already. What GM and what coach fall in love with the, the with someone in the combine? Yeah, yeah that's another big thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, Tom, uh, I'll bring you in here before we uh, say goodbye to Bo here. Anything else uh, you got uh, for for Bo on uh, the NFL offseason here? Uh, you know, I think you guys covered it pretty well. That's why, for the most part, I stayed silent. Usually, I jump in and say or talk some shit, but I think you guys covered it pretty well tonight. Hey, we got to give Thomas some uh, some props this week for winning the pick segment. Oh yes, yeah, I almost, do that. 
I almost conveniently <clears throat> forgot. Yes. I bet you would. You've got $100 off of me, so. Yes. Um, so uh, congrats, Tom, uh, on uh, winning. Uh, yeah. So here, here's your moment. Uh, you, you, now you got to give a speech. I didn't tell you that part. You know, I'm going to leave you all with a simple one. As the Chiefs said this year, run it back. <laughs> well, and then uh, did you hear what Bruce, did you guys hear what Bruce Arians said today? I saw he said something. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, somebody mentioned to him. He said, "Are you guys going to run it back?" He said, "No, we're not going to run it back. That's 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 uh, that's the Chiefs thing. Uh, we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna go for two. Go for two. I like that. I like going for two. I like going for two. I like onside kicks. Those are my those are my things. So yeah." Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll, next year I'll hit you guys with an ambush, and uh, and I'll uh, I'll win it next year. So, hey, what, what yeah. the, hey, what were the final stand standings? I just want to make sure I know I finished behind Thomas. Uh, I think I was a game or two behind you, Tyler. But how far ahead of TJ was I? Because if he's going to brag about the Bucks, uh, you know, beating my Saints in the playoffs and then winning the Super Bowl, I at least need to remind him about how far ahead of him I finished in the pick segment. So you mentioned TJ. He was on the sidelines on the uh, radio call, and he was texting me during the game when the Chiefs were behind, giving me crap. And, and then he was texting me at like one in the morning, and then I heard from him today at the boat parade. Like, this guy would not let off. So please, go after TJ as much as you want. Uh, he finished 81-98 and six or, or uh, 81 97 and six I finished 99 79 and six 20 games above 500 not bad Tom finished 101 77 and six and then uh, Bo you finished uh, 97 79 and six so that was our final standings pretty sure. close between you me and Tom we're all relatively close with Tom ahead but uh, TJ way back there uh, under 500. So it is kind of funny that TJ gets to brag about someone else doing the work, but when it comes to him making the doing the work himself, maybe he shouldn't brag so much. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. <laughs> It'll be a, hey, I've enjoyed it all season. Thank you guys for having me on. I wish TJ was on as well. So I can give him a little more grief and, and let him give it back to me a little bit as well. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll cross paths again soon on that one. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I'm looking forward to doing the off season with you guys as well and doing the football thing. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Bo, uh, we, we, fun. Bo we want to be your partner. Where can people uh, reach out to you? Hey, the best way to catch me right now is to go to our website, uh, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com. The easy way to get there is OAG for O'Connor Advisory Group, KS kansas.com on there if you want to reach directly to me there's a contact button on there whatever question you have even if you think it's silly send it it goes directly to me i would love to chat with you there's no obligation there's no fees like i said i love being people's partners in their planning and their money stuff and hey it's 2021 i know we're in february already but i'm still here to help you get your money right this year let's get it done let's all help each other this year there you have it, Brian O'Connor joining us here on the Jones Report. A couple more things before we get out of here today. We'll get to our Tom Fullery story 
of the day in just a moment. But I do want to take time to get to this week's Big 12 men's basketball breakdown. And, uh, Tom, I have something for you. I was was thinking about this. I have uh, what you might call an overreaction, but, you know, on this show, we're not afraid to – just throw stuff against the wall and see if it sticks. So uh, I have one for you. And and if you feel like this is outlandish, then please call me out on this. I'm not going to be offended by it. Uh, But I am willing to say that as of right now, we are taping this on Thursday, uh, February 11th. The Big 12 has locked in seven teams to the NCAA tournament. I feel confident in saying that the one team at question would be the University of Kansas, who's 13-7. and But I think that based on the performance that they put up uh, the other night to get the uh, victory they did against Oklahoma State, that the worst of KU is behind them. But they are going to get better and that they have good basketball ahead. That's the actually the only team that – with their record, you know, 13 and seven is the worst of those involved of those seven teams, the most losses anyway. Um, and Oklahoma state with the way that they've played as of late. Um, and then everyone else being in the top 14 in the rankings from Baylor, West Virginia, OU, Texas, and Texas tech. Um, yeah, I, I think I can confidently say the big 12 will have seven teams go to the NCAA tournament at this point. Am I wrong for my confidence right now in saying that no and i i I think it's uh i think it's too outlandish i mean ku you know has had some rough stretches but always manages to bounce back i don't think they're going to bounce back and compete obviously for the big 12 title this year obviously not but uh i don't think it's outlandish to say that the the worst of uh the season is behind them i mean they did have a rough stretch they still have a great coach they're still a legendary program. They still have great recruits. They still have great players. Um, you know, just sometimes it's, you know, you can't be good forever. Um, and so you're going to get a rough stretch. Um, and so I don't think it's too outlandish to say that the worst is behind them, that they've taken maybe another step towards being the Kansas team that we know. Um, so I don't think that's too crazy. I, and I agree, seven teams from the Big 12, man, i not opposed to that at all. Yeah, but I think we can confidently say at this point it's a done deal. Seven teams are getting in the tournament. No more, no less either. There's not a path for TCU at eleven and seven. Um, you know they don't have the non-conference wins to account for. They're not going to get the conference wins. You know they had a nice win against Oklahoma State. You know a week or two ago, but I mean it's just not there for TCU at four and five. We know K-State and Iowa State are terrible. Um, seven, that's the number. That's who's in uh, going into next month's NCAA tournament. I feel confident saying that is going to be the number. Uh, no more, no less for the Big 12 at this point. Uh, Baylor going through some COVID issues right now. They've had uh, several games coming up suspended. And so they're at 17-0, 9-0 in Big 12 play. Um, you know, they're, they're coming up on halfway through Big 12 play, essentially. And, you know, the other thing for Baylor, here's why I, I wouldn't be, you know, concerned of sorts if I'm the Baylor Bears about these makeup games, not only because they're so stinking good as Baylor team is, 
But the Big 12 had some forward thinking when they put their schedule together. There's a two-week gap between the, the scheduled end of the regular season and the Big 12 tournament when it begins. So you're going to have that amount of time to make up games in addition to playing just more than two games in a week. And so Baylor will be okay. This too shall pass. They still might even get a non-conference game in with Gonzaga like they've been wanting to do. That still may be able to happen. Um, Watch out. Uh, West Virginia, uh, bringing them up real quick. The other night, nice win on the road in Lubbock, 82-71. to And I think the last two broadcasts uh, I've seen of West Virginia games, they've been talking about, you know, Bob Huggins should be a Hall of Famer and all this. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's come up the last couple times. And, you know, if you want to talk about Huggy Bear being a Hall of Famer, Tom, this would be the season I think you point to in that, you know, Shibway, their best player who – was phenomenal. I, I, I was a big Oscar Sheebway fan. Leaves a midseason. And it wasn't like that there was a, you know, a gap of some sorts. They didn't miss a beat. Here they are still, what is it? They're in second place in the Big 12, 14th in the country, two and a half games back. And West Virginia most recently – uh, beats Texas Tech on the road, the number seven team in the land. They beat KU at home. Um, wow. You want to talk about an impressive coaching job. If, if you say Bob Huggins is a Hall of Famer, if that's the case you make, which I would agree, I have no problem with putting Bob Huggins in the Hall of Fame at this point. He's like fifth all-time and wins in college basketball. Um, this is right up there with some of the best jobs that Huggy Bear's done there uh, in his uh, historic coaching career, Tom. Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, just, you, you mentioned the, the job this season he's been able to do just as tough as the big 12 has been. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think I've seen any anti Bob arguments into the hall of fame. No, that's, that's... I, I, was about to say, I don't, I don't think, that should be controversial at all. If it is, I'd like to know who, because it's just like, oh, I mean, he's got the creds. Right. I think it's just like, okay, when's it going to happen? You know, it's it's not a matter of if, but when with, with Huggy, when he gets in the hall um, at some point. But this year is right up there with some of the best. You know, we, we mentioned that, you know, they their best player leaves midseason, and they still find a way to compete and all that, to, to do their thing. But these COVID circumstances, too, um, that type of thing would be tough on any team in completely normal circumstances. But for them to go through this COVID year, um, you know, the challenges, I'll I'll add this too, Tom, the the challenges of traveling in COVID um, has been something on everybody, right? You know, we've all seen everybody's had to adjust accordingly one way or the other. West Virginia has to travel more than anybody in this league. And it's not even close when it comes to mileage and all those things there for, for Huggy to adapt and West Virginia to be in this position when they're in the toughest position of anybody in the big 12, when it just comes to logistics, it's a, it's a heck of a job well done by this West Virginia team. Um, and we know about the press Virginia scheme and all that, the way they're playing right now, um, they, they won't win the big 12. Uh, Baylor's got this thing pretty much on lockdown. Um, but 
you know, in these coming weeks as we count down to March, I don't want anything to do with having to face that West Virginia team right now. Mm -mm. Neither do I. Um, I mean, and you mentioned, and you know, that's another, maybe another topic for another day. I don't think it's talked about enough on just how routine West Virginia does well across all sports for the most point, uh, or, you know, for the most part, uh, they're, they're always pretty solid or they're always in the talks. Um, but just the fact that they are the outlier in the big 12 and have to routinely travel to the middle of the country, uh, for every away game, um, you know, and while the other teams, yeah, sure. If you have to go to Morgantown one year, that's like on your list. You're like, Oh sure. We got to go a long way. Well, West Virginia just does it like it's, it's a day in day out thing for them. Um, and, and they're one of the only programs that I can think that has to travel as far. Um, and, you know, sure, I miss A&M being in, and I miss Nebraska being in, and I don't really miss Mizzou. I don't really miss Colorado. <laughs> um, but you know what? I, I do like West Virginia in the Big 12. I You know, I don't have any problems with that. I like – now, obviously, I don't – I actually agree against them. Geographically, it's not ideal, but they fit the culture of our league. They do. I mean, they pass around moonshine in the stadium. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm – hell yeah. Like, come on down. You can come to the cookout. Like, let's go. Let's, let's, Let's party. I'm cool with that. They do. They do fit the culture really well. They're like a East Coast Iowa State. Yeah. Yeah. Um Let's uh, let's talk about uh, your, your your favorite friends, uh, the University of Texas here. Uh, um, I told you last week. I said I wasn't concerned about Texas yet, um, and the key word was yet, um, because that they had really been thrown off by the games they had postponed, and some of them weren't even their fault, like the Kentucky game. Um, you know, they, they end up playing Oklahoma in between games that are canceled and lose that one. But now Texas comes back and listen to this stretch that Texas has been on. Okay. Uh, you had the, the loss against Oklahoma, right? Back on January 26th. Since then, uh, they lose at Baylor. Baylor's a good team. Okay. E- even that's not a bad loss. They lose in double overtime to Oklahoma State last Saturday. Not a bad loss either, but nonetheless, double overtime game. And then they barely beat a bad K-State team in Manhattan. Um, Texas, a slump of sorts. Um, you know, had some COVID pauses of some, of some sorts. Now, if I'm looking at Texas – because we have seen that this Texas team was ranked in the top five at one point, that yes, they're having a great year for being Texas, no, no question, for that they have taken a huge step up from what they've been at the last few years. That's a fact, yes. But if we're holding them to the standard of what they've been this year, then, uh, then I would say there ought to be a level of concern for Texas right now if we're putting them on that pedestal in actuality, I would say that it's kind of just a reality check of, oh, wait, Texas still the overall body of work is a tremendous improvement. I think that's what you really have to think about with this Texas team. They're not playing as good as what they, as what they once were, sure. But 
Um, it, it's about what they've done for the whole season, even though this this last stretch hasn't necessarily gone their way. Right. Yeah. And and you mentioned, you know, at the beginning, you mentioned weren't worried about them yet. The stretch they've been on, though, you know, kind of KU-ish a little bit. You know, they – and maybe not this season because KU, I don't think, started off hot, but Texas did. And, and, you know, had maintained that, oh, wow, okay, well, Texas is kind of surprised. OU – you know, has been up there kind of a surprise, but Texas kind of fell off a little bit. You know, I, I they like West Virginia is not a team that I want to face uh, come March. But yeah, I mean, Chuck is smart uh, this season. I think he's pretty much saved his hot seat. Um, oh yeah, and so even even now, you know, I mean, he's fine now. But uh, before this year, we talked about Chuck Smart being kind of up in the air like this was the season to get it together i think this recent stretch from texas is kind of what everyone thought texas would have been right this season so still a great season for them so far but uh you know it's not all what i say earlier not all puppies and kisses right now yeah um and uh you know we, we know that baylor's the best team in this league then you know we're kind of just waiting on them to play gonzaga at this point right you know it's clearly those two but the, the last question on the Big 12, I'll end on this, and, and I'll pose it to, to both of us, is who is the biggest threat to make a deep run out of this league? Is it West Virginia, who we mentioned with the Press of Virginia, but still no Shibway. Um, you know, he's gone. Is it Oklahoma, who uh, has played really good basketball as of late, and they're just now getting healthy, too. They, they missed – uh, you know, uh, Austin Reeves for a bit, and they missed Brady Manick for a bit, and now they're just now getting those guys back. Is it Texas, who we mentioned opened up really hot but have slowed down a little bit? Does KU get their stuff back together and get on a run? Is their worst basketball behind them? Texas Tech, they play incredible defense. Chris Beard's got a great team. I love the ejection he got the other night. Um, when he just let those refs have it, that was classic. I mean, that was my president right there. Um, but do they have enough offense? This Texas Tech team does. What about Oklahoma State? We know that they have the best player in the country in Cade Cunningham, but they don't have a whole lot of size. And, you know, that is a concern of some folks is about the lack of size with this Oklahoma State team. So there's things you can point to. Uh, Baylor is, is – as close to perfect as you can realistically get in this league. Everyone else has got some flaws. Um, a lot of good teams, and, and I like them for different reasons, but I don't know the one team that has the best chance of making a, a deep run right now. I guess I would lean towards Texas Tech, um, but I, I don't say that confidently. I, I don't think that the you know Baylor's in a league of their own, but I don't think that there's a huge gap really between – West Virginia at number two and all the way down to Oklahoma state. Who's, uh, you know, seventh in the big 12 standings. Yeah. I mean, I guess most poised for a, a long run, as much as this pains me to say, it's, I'm going to have to say, Oh, you really, um, yeah, yeah, I think it's, OU. you, I've liked what they've done. They've shown grit. They've shown durability, uh, you know, with Reeves going down and some other players going down. Um, I, I think it's, you know, obviously Baylor, but, you know, outside of them, 
I think it. I think it's OU. I think you hit the nail on the head about Oklahoma State. Um, look at the Kansas game they played the other night. Um, forget the KU guys name, but any team with a strong inside presence is going to beat this OSU team. McCormick, yeah, yeah. I mean that's just what it is. Um, and and I didn't expect OSU to. You know, I think OSU can get the Sweet Sixteen. I really do. Um, and we'll be shocked if they don't. But anything past that, I, I, I just I don't see it just yet. I mean, yeah, Cade Cunningham's going to be one and done, and that sucks. But if you look long term for Oklahoma State, it wasn't just hurry up and win with Cade Cunningham. It was, uh, hey, Mike Boyden can build a big program here in Stillwater. Um, so that's more of a long-term project in my mind. So, you know, it would, it would be really nice for OSU to make a deep run. That would be awesome. Well, and um, uh, I'll say this one thing about Cade Cunningham, too. I know that it's it sucks for OSU fans that they know that Cade Cunningham is basically like a one-year rental of sorts, right? Um, you know, you got to take him back to Blockbuster, you know, at, at the end of the <laughs> season. You know, it, it's just over with, right? Um, but – one guy I've talked to about this was Lon Kruger, and Lon told me, you know, that you know, you know, Trey Young, for example, or or you know, I know this was before he was there, but Blake Griffin, um, and even Buddy Heald, even though Buddy was a four-year guy, that those guys going to the NBA and having success did so much for his program and made it so much easier to recruit and bring guys into Oklahoma because they saw what those guys could do in the NBA. Kate Cunningham, his impact will be bigger on Oklahoma State than anything he does this season unless they make, you know, a lead eight or final four or something like that. Just the fact that he wore Oklahoma State on his chest is going to do wonders for that program when it comes to bringing in talent in the future. I mean, people even still talk about OSU and Boston Celtics games come on. Marcus Smart. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that I you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, whoever he goes to, I mean, I think this kid is, and, and I'm a little biased, but I think this kid, this Cade Cunningham kid, I think he's he's bound to succeed. He's bound to be a great player in the NBA. I mean, he just has all the intangibles. I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous, honestly. Oh, and the, I'm sure the knock he's on not. him, the, the the one knock that the the mainstream media has been saying is that he's unathletic, and I'm like, what? Did anyone not see the block from behind he had in the Kansas game the other night? Uh, this guy's plenty athletic. Come on. Right. I mean, he's maybe not the most athletic freak that is in the draft class, but, I mean, his other intangibles, his basketball IQ, just the way he, he plays the game already looks pro. Right. Like, who cares? Who cares if he's I mean, and, I mean he, could, he, could, he could play in the NBA tomorrow. Right. No so problem. Sorry that he's not Derrick Rose. Okay. You know, I mean, Derrick right, Rose right. and Russell Westbrook's just don't grow on trees. It's okay. Um, right. He's still going to be, he's going to be, he's going to be a top three draft pick depending on who's in the lottery. Yeah. And uh, I think you're talking about him being like a point forward of sorts with that six, eight, six, nine body. He's good enough ball handler. He can bring it up the floor. Um, you know, watch out. Uh, you know, hopefully future Oklahoma City Thunder star, Kate Hunt and Cunningham is who we're talking about here. Um, with that being said, we'll move on. Last thing before we run, time for today's Tom Fullery story of the week this week. Tom, where are we going to head to this time? 
Jones, we're going to New Zealand. We're going to New Zealand this time. Never been. And uh, no, no, neither have I. I would love to go. Uh, that's on my list. It's very expensive, though, to get a flight to Auckland, New Zealand. Um, but that being said, we're going to where Stephen Adams is from. And Jones, I don't know if you knew the other day. Was it Monday? Monday? No, no, maybe yesterday. I think it was yesterday, actually. National Pizza Day was yesterday. Oh, yes. Um, Tuesday, you know, being that we're recording. Technically, uh, the time we're recording this, it's technically a Thursday. But that being said, um, Jones, we're going to New Zealand Pizza Place. And this is kind of funny how how it matches up, but I think it's genius. Um, There's a pizza place. There's a pizza chain. Uh, from what I've read in the article, it sounds like a lot like a Domino's or a Pizza Hut um, called Hell Pizza. And article reads, Hell Pizza teams, with, teams up with adult toy store to include vibrators with pizza in Valentine's Day promotion. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. If you're staring down the barrel of a lonely Valentine's Day this week, perhaps, the, perhaps only accompanied by your cat, we have news that's bound to perk you right up. Fast food outlet Hell Pizza has joined forces with Kiwi Sex Shop Adult Toy Megastore to give away a free mini bullet vibrator with every pizza sold this weekend. It combines two of Singleton's biggest vices, a whole pizza to themselves, and, well, you get the picture. Uh, with people spending more time at home, the campaign is intended to be a fun and lighthearted, strictly adults-only way to celebrate the modern day of love, a statement from the adult toy megastore reads the campaign is strictly r18 with adults needing to verify their age before opting in to receive the bullet toy when ordering a pizza online but it's very unclear exactly what constitutes verifying presumably the same option offered to customers before they buy alcohol online using targeted digital marketing hell has been able to carefully select media channels and target adults to minimize any risk of our campaign reaching minors the statement adds during the last year's lockdowns, the online sex toy retailer reported sales went through the roof, tripling in New Zealand, Australia, and the UK. We're in a new era for adult toys, says owner Nicola Ralph. I've been in this business for more than a decade, and I've never seen a time where people are so open about their sex lives and excited to try new things. Recent results from the rival toy company Love Honey echo the sentiments. A survey of 17,000 Instagram followers found that Pleasure Air technology is increasing in popularity, and the classic rabbit is having a comeback. Those keen on the Hell ATMS promotion will have to get in quick, with stock limited to only 4,500 vibrators nationwide. It's not the first time the takeaway outlet has used controversial promotion method. Back in 2006, the Advertising Standards Authority said today has been inundated with uh, complaints when the pizza company has included condoms and a mail-out to promote its Lust Pizza. Then in 2020 or 2012, a Wellington couple were outraged after their nine-year-old son was given a pin shaped like a blood-filled syringe as part of a promotion. Jones, um, you know, are you ordering this pizza with the vibrator? The, the pizza with the vibrator. Uh, I think I'm gonna pass on this one. Um, you, you would get the you would get the KFC console, but you wouldn't get the free vibrator with the pizza. Just to uh, say you got one. At that point, it's got to be a novelty. 
That's true. There can't be that. Many there's options. only there's only forty five hundred of them. Is it one of those heart shaped pizzas? You think? You know they didn't say. They didn't say they did have as they said a, a pizza called Lust, <laughs> but I don't know if it's heart shaped or not. I mean, there's a lot of different shapes that a pizza could take that would probably make this more entertaining. I won't go into detail. I'm just let your imagination run wild. Um, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of different pictures you can paint with toppings on a pizza. Um, I'm sure I could. I'm sure I could probably make some funny ones, but that being said, Jones, I'm ordering the pizza and getting the vibrator. Now, what are you doing the, with the vibrator? Uh, you know, I. It's a good question. I might, you know, I might keep it for personal use, <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or I might, you know, go. Uh, I don't know. You know, I might do something funny with it, like put it in some grandma's mailbox or something. Right. Just to get just to get a kick out of it. Some old granny on your block needs to lighten up. You just go put a vibrator in a mailbox and turn it on and just listen to it. Okay, here here's the question though. Um how many chicks are actually gonna believe you when they say, like, hey, why the hell do you have a vibrator? And you say it came with my pizza. I just show them the article. As much as I as I, as much as I love pizza, there was a if I if you no, no, I'm not even gonna no, we're not even gonna go there. Um, but yeah, I mean I would just say, hey, you know, I'm not gonna turn it for for all the funny things said you love coupons and free shit with food. I do You're love gonna, coupons. All right. I mean what okay, here's another funny one. We've talked about all the ridiculous things that could sponsor this show. Um, you know, one of them being CBD. Um, you know, the funny part would be what if we got Adult Toy Megastore to sponsor the show? What if I did like a live read at the very top of the show for like adamandeve.com? Oh, that would be actually beautiful. That would be that would that would that I would love that. Can you imagine? Give us a five star review and we'll send you a vibrator. The Jones Report is presented by a rock solid when your heart is a rock. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Oh, when this when this gets posted up, I'm going back and saving that clip. You should. You know how funny that would be. You should do it. You know, okay, I here here's one. For April Fool's Day, the, the week that we do the show for April Fool's Day. You'll you will completely trash me on this because you have way more experience doing advertisements. But Tom Fullery on April Fool's Day, what we're gonna do? What you're gonna pick just five companies and come up with just a quick ad for them, and then we'll just go back and forth. Okay. For ads, that's pure <laughs> comedy. Oh my gosh, that is that's that's one of the funnier things you've said in a long time. <laughs> that I'm gonna laugh about that tomorrow. That's uh, yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, we we need to get Bo in on this too. But we were talking about the last week. We were talking about funny advertisements off the show on how funny it would be just to do random funny advertisements. And they don't they don't have to be a real company, obviously. It could just be I don't I don't know Rock I don't know if Rock Solid's a, a real company or not, but 
Uh, I mean, you mentioned Adam and Eve. That would if if I came across you doing an Adam and Eve ad, I I would lose my mind. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, what for uh, get a pizza and then get something? I'm I'm not gonna say no. I'm not gonna you know. And if only forty five hundred are given away, um. You know, who's to say that there's not a novelty sex toy collector out there that wants one of these? Right. Um, I mean, why Why not? Right. This has been the Roman Halftime Report. Let's see if they have enough stamina for the second half. Oh, my gosh. I <laughs> wish you would be really – that would be hilarious. Um, yeah, with Ro- – I mean, if Roman was just giving away free – I don't know. Hard on pills. I, I can't say that I would. I would take the vibrator before I would take the hard on pills. <laughs> I'll give you that. I don't think I would just actually be like, yeah, you know what? Let me have. You know how awkward that would be. Have some male like pizza guy show up at your house and be like, here's your pepperoni pizza and Viagra. <laughs> Even the vibrator, like the delivery guy, I think you'd have to tip him pretty well. Oh man, can you? Well, it depends on who the delivery guy is. I think it would be almost more awkward for the people who are looking to get the vibrator. Because <laughs> then, what if he? You know, if, if you're like me, I order pizza all the time. Uh, that deliver, I've had the same delivery driver multiple different times. Yeah, they're gonna know your house. They're gonna be like, "This weirdo got the vibrator with the pizza." <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, I would I see. And that's the thing, too. Would you go and pick up? Are they going to have the vibrators in store? They're just going to send you a coupon online or you go to the site and order it. Here's, here's probably what will happen. You probably get a coupon because it's online orders only. You probably get a coupon for it. They send you a coupon code. You go to their website. It's probably a partnership deal like this. And you probably get the coupon for the you know, for the vibrator and you go in and put it in and then you pay, pay the shipping on it probably even still. Um, I'm assuming that's probably one of these things of like, Hey, this, this vibrator sex toy place said, Hey, hell pizza. We'll give you some money to let us give away vibrators just so it'll direct traffic to our site. <laughs> that's gotta be what it is. They're not, I don't think they're bringing individual individually wrapped vibrators to people's houses like a like a like a sex can you imagine that another ridiculous thing would be like okay here's this adult cereal get a uh, get your climaxos over here and uh, every box is a free prize sex toy <laughs> I mean you know back when I was a kid we got like the Star Wars spoons and the Pokemon cards you know no so, I was in the McDonald's drive-through yesterday. And they had this sign posted that you can't just individually buy the toy and the Happy Meal, that you had to buy the Happy Meal. I wonder how many people might look at the pizza and say, well, I don't want the pizza. I just want to buy that vibrator. Right. I mean, they're like, hey, uh, you know, you can keep it. You can keep the pizza. Just, you know, (laughs) send your best looking delivery driver with the vibrator and send him on over. It brings Happy Meal to a whole new meaning. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Uh, the old Happy Ending Meal. <laughs> <laughs>
I mean, we, we got to get a, I mean, this is the show before Valentine's Day. I mean, you got to expect us to get a little dirty. Right. Oh, it's all in good fun. Valentine's Day is is a, just a scam by Hallmark to sell cards. It is. And, and Hallmark, I feel like it's on its way out the door, just the same as Blockbuster was. Also, this is the first time during the show that I think we've mentioned Blockbuster more than once. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and you bring up Valentine's Day. We we went the whole show without bringing up Valentine's Day. So right, so I had to do so some Valentine's happy, uh, Day store. Happy Valentine's Day to all you uh, single and uh, and people in a, in a relationship. Whatever uh, you know, ha- hope you have a good one. Uh, happy uh, Singles Awareness Day. And there you go. I'm doing a DJing a '80s prom. Um, on Saturday, which is their Valentine's Day celebration. So we'll see if the snow doesn't run me out on that one as well. But uh, you can't beat a happy ending to a happy show. Right. Do you remember Celebration Station? Uh, was that a, an arcade? Yeah, it was. It was in Tulsa. Yeah. Yep, I sure did go there. Yeah. I sure did. And that, and uh, I don't know if you ever remember Discovery Zone. That might have been before your time. That's before my time now. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we, we got to put a happy ending to this show and get out of here today. Um, we hope that you laughed and cried and had a good time with us today. Big thanks to Adam Alexander for stopping by. Uh, Coach Bo, Ron O'Connor as well for joining us. Subscribe to the Jones Report on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can't listen to that last segment and tell me we don't deserve five stars. Give us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. We're not going to send you a vibrator, though. Right, right. uh, The best review gets a a pizza and a vibrator from from us. (laughs) We'll sign it. We'll sign it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you can follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live at Thomas underscore Bridges at uh, TJ Media Group, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, uh, Insta Thomas, Jones underscore report. You can find us there. And uh, we'll see you right back here next week here on the uh, Jones Report. And uh, we're going to go back to just our Thursday schedule. Um, till football season next year. The post-game report was a lot of fun to do, but uh, we want to keep that as just a, a, a football season thing. So the Monday show will be back uh, when, uh, when that comes to a football season again because we got to have something to talk about. So be here every Thursday. Also got the uh, Let's Go Racing with David Starr podcast going on as well. So uh, definitely encourage you to check out both those shows uh, here when uh, you get the chance. For Thomas Bridges, Brian O'Connor. Adam Alexander, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.